Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport. It's just after 8 o'clock on Wednesday the 4th of November. I'm John Hindoff, live from Hindoff Towers and up in London is our executive producer Tim Gray. Good evening Tim. Good evening John. Uh, No Nick Damon tonight. He is on assignment in Scandawija. But there wasn't much F1 to talk about. However... We have got someone who can talk about F1 at the weekends, uh, which I will bring you to later in the show. Well, you have me, show. I can talk. It's, I, I watched it. Did you watch it? Yes. Um, it's you know, it's I was my new favourite the... circuit. Is it really? It looks what, so much ri- better than it did with IndyCars on it. What, for arrive and drive karting? Anyway, let's not get let's not get involved in that right now, because we've got a lot to fit in uh, tonight. I'm we've not actually got even... slightly less to fit in than we planned. Well, because uh, sh- uh, unfortunately, my interview with Danny Pedrosa, yeah, uh, one of us didn't turn up, <laughs> and I presume as you were there to talk to him, it wasn't you that didn't turn up then. I'm not allowed to say. Ah, okay. Uh, one or two very quick uh, apologies for absent, and I've got to say a very big get well soon to Race Gypsy, a world travelling British marshal who's in. Uh, hospital desperate to be trackside at the moment that comes from dead squirrel uh, this evening um, uh, a few people normally who aren't listening who are uh, listening uh, at the moment uh, an awful lot about uh, a certain driver's retirement announcement uh, today as well which we'll uh, talk about I'm sure a little later on uh, Mortis Madmen uh, says I'm on my way to uh, the race of remembrance uh, potential apologies for absence may still be listening if I can get 3G on the M6 if you are listening Mortis Madmen good evening to you Turbo and also Wombo. beware of the road routes on the A55 yes good point that uh, we should get Johnny to do the travel news shouldn't we no apologies for absence from Turbo Womble tonight uh, will the pretzel ring get a mention it has done did you say that during the week I did yeah very good and it did look like Harama I agree uh, I suggested it looked like uh, the Nürburgring, uh, the, the GP circuit, not the... Apologies for absences, James Ryder. I bought an exciting new internet radio, but unfortunately didn't realise I had to buy the power supply, supply separately. Right Turn Lover says, missed, missed most of last week's uh, Midweek Motorsport in uh, very various DXB queues. 
Hapling listening in this week. Well done. I, I wonder if he means Dubai there. Yeah. Um, Miles Cook says apologies for uh, Im- apologies for impatience rather than absence. See, that's that that's that Twitter autocorrect, isn't it? Can we start midweek motorsport an hour early? Oh no, that is impatience. Because I'm on in European time and the extra hour is frustrating. Hello to all the Americans listening tonight, uh, whose clocks have finally gone back. Um, so that's very good. Uh, and uh, Dan Hounsell says, I have class at, uh, th- this time as usual, um, but I'm working on a project and it looks fantastic. Dan, thank you. And uh, let's see what else we've got. The llama has to work so she can afford to go to Le Mans 24 and 2016, says Keke Murray. So not listening uh, at the moment. Uh, Chris Matthias says he will be listening. Uh, as he gets ready to make his move to a new apartment tomorrow. Oh, good luck with that. Uh, and Andrew, AMD87TS, says, Apologies for absence. Too busy drooling over a set of LMP1 wheels that arrived today. Let's have a quick look at that. Oh, very nice set of rims. Uh, I want to know what they are going on to. Uh, and that's all we've got time for because we are on with another one of our midweek motorsport exclusives this evening. Uh, if you've been following dailysportscar.com, uh, you will know that United Autosports have already declared uh, their intention to be in the European Le Mans series with a couple of LMP3s for next season and uh, joining us from Leeds up in Yorkshire is the man behind uh, the United Autosport efforts we'll say good evening in God's country uh, to Richard Dean evening Richard yeah evening John Hope we find you fit and well, Richard, and uh, thank you very much for joining us on Midweek Motorsport tonight with a, a world exclusive. Uh, what have you got to tell us? Uh, well, I suppose yeah, the world exclusive is uh, our first sign in, in LMP3. We've got our new programme for LMP3 for 2016 and beyond, and um, first driver sign in, in the bag. And you are you going to tell us who, who it is? <laughs> Yeah, that's the whole point of the exclusive, isn't it? So we'll reveal the name. So, yeah, really, really delighted. Um, this isn't just another driver. This is you know, really a talented driver uh, with uh, prototype experience in Alex Brundle. This is quite a big deal. And clearly he was out in the WEC at the weekend, led the race uh, from a fairly lowly grid position. Sounds a bit of an obvious question, Richard, but what what drew you to Alex? It's a hugely important year for us, our first year in prototypes, with a you know, long-term ambition to get into Le Mans. So to align ourselves with a quick, young British driver who's got exactly the same ambitions and you know well Alex has been there and been at Le Mans very successfully and in P2 you know he's had a he's had a few months out um, he hasn't raced much this year I think he did prior to Shanghai as you just mentioned in there his last race uh, before that was uh, Daytona 24 hours so you know a little, a little bit of a comeback in a way you know he's, he's got a great reputation uh, before his break and uh, you know I think he just wants to get his the momentum back and prove himself. Um, so for us to, to have a quick driver in our car with, that can help us develop the car and, and deliver some results, you know, it's obviously the aim. And uh, I think we've got them. This signing, Richard, says to me how seriously you're taking this program. Yeah, you know, we obviously take all our most racing seriously, and we 
we want to enjoy ourselves at the same time. But you know, winning is enjoyment, isn't it? And uh, you know, we're trying to put together a driver lineup and a team, team of engineers, and the car, uh, and a budget to, to go and do that. And um, you know, we're treading carefully now with you know the rest of the signings, and we have to wait a little bit and clarification of regulations of who can sit alongside Alex for the season. Um, you know, if we can put a great driver pair in together, I'm sure there's going to be there's some very good teams joining this series, and I'm sure they're all working away very hard trying to put the best uh, driver combination. I'm not saying we've got a head and shoulders uh, start here because I expect quite a few names of this caliber. Alex's calibre uh, to come out of the woodwork. It's been clear to me this year that this part of, of endurance racing has attracted perhaps more professional drivers, uh, more in numbers and a greater degree of professionalism uh, than perhaps many people might have thought. Uh, uh, I did hear one or two uh, people sort of dismissing this as a bit of a, oh, it's just really a track day car. It's a, it's not a proper racing car. It's it's something for gentlemen drivers to have a quote-unquote play in. In my view, LMP3 isn't a play thing. It's certainly not. It's a training ground, for definite. But European Le Mans series is extremely serious. And the whole point, I believe, from the ACO of conjuring up this series, of which I think they've hit it absolutely spot on, you know, I think they've done a great job of this, is to prepare drivers, teams, engineers um, for Le Mans. And let's not forget that uh, they've just announced uh, LMP3 standalone race at Le Mans. So how many people get the opportunity to race on the full Le Mans circuit over the Le Mans weekend and prepare themselves? I mean, that is the best preparation. So it's definitely not a track day thing. You mentioned development. Tell us about your equipment choice and and why you've gone that route. Clearly, uh, you know everybody knows that Ginetta pretty much kickstarted the whole uh, LMP3 thing, and you know without Lawrence Tomlinson's commitment to the program, the series would have probably stalled. You know he's got the thing going. Yeah, you know delivering five cars on the grid at round one was quite an achievement. I think you've uh, you know you've covered this before, and Ginetta's push to get the series going. But, you know, other choices out there. And Ligier is an obvious warning in terms of, uh, you know, a longer-term ambition to get to Le Mans and go into P2, uh, work with a manufacturer uh, inching your way closer to that. Ginetta didn't win the one of the licenses for a P2 car, as you know. So that didn't feel as obvious a choice in when you're trying to work away uh, on a relationship mm. with with a, with a manufacturer and their engineers and understanding. The Ligier, it's a new car. It appeared at the last round. Yeah, I'm sure it shares a, a, an awful lot of the thinking, philosophy, engineering, design that the P2 car that they've produced, which is a pretty quick car. Mm. And while development's severely restricted uh, in this in this category, Development in terms of setup and understanding what makes these cars go quick. You know, this is this is new ground, and Alex, I'm hoping, is going to help us, you know, accelerate through that. You know, you've got to have a good drive, you've got to have some experience, you've got to have good feedback. You know, otherwise your, your engineers are wasted as well. I'm I'm very interested in your comments there that part of the decision to go with Ligier was the opportunity uh, or lack thereof to go into P2 with Ginetta, whereas that um, exists with with Ligier. Um, and that is something I have to say I hadn't thought about. But P3, as we've said, 
is a part of a ladder series and being able to develop a relationship with a manufacturer is part of that process, Richard? Is that the thinking behind that? Yeah, you know, it's one of the many factors. But it's probably the first one I can think of that's significant, you know, in terms of, you know, our ambition. And, you know, it's crazy. I'm stood in my office right now in Leeds looking out the window and uh, you know, Ginetta is op- opposite. You've been to our place, John, and you've seen Ginetta. Mm. And, you know, that was our initial choice. But their longer-term view on developing an LMP3 card, the Ginetta's I'm talking about now, you know, didn't seem to fit quite as as well as, you know, Ligio's ability to take us from P3 into P2, hopefully. That's very interesting, and we'll develop some of that later in the show tonight with uh, Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsCard.com, who's listening to this at the moment. I've got Alex with me, and we'll speak to Alex in just a moment, Richard. So um, feel feel free to embarrass him or chivvy him along uh, a little bit when I ask you this uh, this question. How important was this first signing to you? I'm not going to sit and build a team around him because that that would be uh, not necessarily the right form of words, but to get one of the cornerstones together in this in this uh, young programme? It's massively important and this was agreed in October. You know, it felt like a real weight off my shoulders because, you know, you're always wanting to put not just the first uh, signing underway, you know, when, when we committed to P3, which is probably six months ago, we knew we were going to do it, you're still not 100% sure is it the right move, you know, is, is the series going to grow or is it going to crash? And the ACO have been making all the right announcements, the Le Mans race, etc. So to get Alex signed up is just another endorsement of the series and endorsement of the team and it underlines that we made the right the right move. You know, drivers of that calibre looking at this series, you know, it's really important. And for me, it feels now like the pressure's off because I do believe we have got a team leader and I believe that now the announcement's out. You know, there's a lot of drivers who want to be measured against a driver the calibre and speed of Alex. And I believe that, you know, it might, it might give us more opportunities, you know, to fill the other seats. If you're looking longer term, how much longer term down the road are you looking to perhaps make that move into P2? And is, is it the case that you could potentially run a, a P3 and a P2 programme in parallel together in a series, for example, like the ELMS? And does that make a, a better business decision? And, and let's be honest, that's what we're talking about here. Motor racing as a business makes a better business decision for United Autosports. Uh, I don't see any reason why you couldn't run uh, two programmes. You're not, you're not going to be running, you know, more than two cars in each. So, you know, two teams, four cars total. Um, if that was a, our combined commitment into motor racing for a year, uh, you know, we've, we've taken on an, an awful lot more than that in the past. Um, and it, it makes sense to run them parallel. Um, it's not something that, you know, we've, we've made a decision and committed to. And, and likewise, you question on the date of our entry to Le Mans, it's not something that we can sort of, you know, put a, a, an exact date on, because it's so much got to happen, you know, we've got to be successful in P3, and, you know, we've got to, success usually helps you secure the budget, have you got the right budget, you know, making the right choices, there's an awful lot going to happen in P2 with with the new cars coming out in 17, is is that the right year to go in, or do you, do you sit and look at uh, the outcome of year one we're not in a rush we're firmly focused on it but you know you, you couldn't put a date on it clearly there's a lot of motorsport that you could be involved with out there 
endurance motor racing, particularly on the prototype side, uh, is, is not necessarily the obvious choice, but makes a good business decision at the moment in terms of medium to long term? I disagree with that. I think it is the obvious choice. Um, you know, we've been sat dipping our toe into things like touring cars and, uh, you know, obviously we've been involved since we started five years ago uh, with this team. We've been involved in GT3. That's changed beyond recognition. You know, the right choice and, and business decision are pretty much one the, the, the same thing. You know, it's the escalation of costs to gear up for a, uh, a GT3 team now if you were going to start afresh, you know, with all the new generation of GT3 cars coming out and what seemingly seems to be no control on cost, the, the capital investment in, in all your car and you're both in two, three hours and eight cars you're going to get and all the kit and equipment, never mind the running budget, just doesn't seem to make any sense to me at all. Plus, you're racing in GT3 now at the headline events like Spa 24 Hours and over in 24 hours, you're, you're in the blank pan series, you're racing against factory assisted, factory supported, or even factory teams, however you want to look at it. So, for a privateer team, you know, it's hard to compete. So, obvious choice for me is the direction the ACO are going. And, uh, and again, I think they've got it spot on. Cost cap, it's obviously achievable because, you know, a few manufacturers have thrown the hat in the ring to make the cars at the cost cap price. You know, it, it, it looks a Terrific value car at two hundred thousand euros. Yeah, um, and a proper racing and, car, and it looks fantastic and sounds fantastic as well. Yes, yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think it's you know I think it is, and I think and I've driven one. I've done a full day snetting in one, and I absolutely loved it. it. Does everything you expect it to do? This car is going to go around Le Mans, and I'm sure uh, you know they already invited it to the official Le Mans test day, which qualifies your drivers. Mm. So, in terms of European Le Mans, great circuits, headline events, Le Mans itself, training ground, and the price, I think it absolutely was the right choice. It's the obvious choice for me anyway when I was looking at our, what's our next investment, you know, which direction we were going to go in next. It made a lot more sense than going and buying two new GT3 cars. Richard, thanks very much indeed. We wish you all the best in that. Uh, and thank you for, for breaking that news live here on uh, on Midweek Motorsport. Um, we'll have a chat with Alex, who's smiling away uh, next to me. Anything you want to say to him before I, before I get him on? Uh, no, what's he doing there? He's going to the pub after, because he's meant to be in the gym. I will tell you what, he's <laughs> just had to eat here as well with Eve's fantastic uh, cooking. Richard, it's been too long since I've seen you in person. We'll pop up and have a cup of... We'll have a bit of a brew at your place soon and uh, and have another wander around. It's about time we did that again. Yeah, you're welcome me, Simon. We'll let you know when we got the second driver in we can maybe do this again great mate thanks very much cheers John thanks and uh Alex laughing away might have heard him there in the background well there's your new boss then saying some very nice things about your young man yeah absolutely and uh and I'm also in the position to say some very nice things about them because I've met them all and uh been up to Leeds uh the week before Shanghai and, uh, you know, a great group of people. I'm really, really excited to be joining Good them for, operation. for the oh, fantastic operation. And I, I'm really excited to be joining them for, for this season. Um, sorry, I'm going to ask the obvious question because everybody else will as well. Not the first time the Brundle name and United Autosport have, have been together. Your dad drove with them, didn't they? Absolutely. Dad dad drove for them uh, in, in Daytona uh, as far back as 2011, I think. Um, they all blend into one, don't they? Blimey. Um, <laughs> well, when you're saying things like that at your age, just wait till you get to my age, mate. Don't worry. Yeah, but I, I remember him commenting at the time what, what a great group 
great group of guys they were um, to work with. And um, in the you know the very brief period we've we've already uh, kicked off uh, the relationship, I've I found that as well. So uh, really excited, really excited for the season uh, and for the car. I think it's going to be a great little championship. It's going to be hectic with. Um, with that many, you know, they're looking at a really, really good entry base for, for the series. And, and mm. there's going to be plenty of LP3 cars out there. And uh, it's going to be tight. Richard saying there, and I, I suspect you won't disagree with him, that he expects that we'll hear some more announcements closer to the start of the season, perhaps, about drivers um, from other teams. And that it will be a very, very competitive championship. I tend to agree with him. Uh, you heard what I said to him there in that interview about a lot of people kind of dismissed LMP3 as a uh, as a bit of a, a non-entity. It wasn't a proper race car. Um, it's not fast enough. It's not this. It's not that. But what it is is a full downforce race car in a series that gives you an entry to Le Mans and now a chance to race on the same bill as Le Mans 24 hours on the Saturday morning before Le Mans on the same circuit. There's a lot of things going for it. Well, at the end of the day, you know, if, if it wasn't a proper race car, then the ACO just plain wouldn't have it on the track with the with the level with the level and calibre of drivers and the level and calibre of cars that that are out there for for the European Le Mans series. They they are great little race cars. It will be a great series, and the and the cost, the nature of uh, the series and how the money works out w- with regards to uh, the cost of putting the car on the racetrack gives the teams options as well mm. uh, with with the drivers that they're that they're able to to put in the cars. It's going to be close and tight, and it's still you know it's still a sports car in a in a global or a, you know a European wide but a globally recognised uh, endurance championship. You can go out and you can prove yourself. Yeah, and also we've already seen the first of the new generation of LMP3 cars in the Asian Le Mans series that's it's clearly uh, there's an Asian LMP3 only championship as well that'll run in the off season uh, over there uh, okay i'm not going to suggest that in a couple of years time it's going to grow into a GT3 kind of proportions that's taking what better part of a, a decade for for GT3 to get underway but it's a move in the right direction. And, you know, apart from your driving duties, you've worked with us on Radio Le Mans before as a commentator. I know you look at the sport as a student of the sport. We got very excited about this, you know, around about this time last year when it was first announced. I, I just think it's the right thing for the ACO to be doing to give that stepping stone for engineers, for teams, for sponsors, for drivers coming through. Now, you know, you're an established driver going into that championship. But as Richard said there, for young drivers who's perhaps found a bottleneck in a single-seater career, this is a perfect opportunity. Absolutely. And uh, and it does offer just that stepping stone, as you said, to, to get in and allows a team like United Autosports, who are a hell of an operation, mm-hmm. to go, OK, we want to go prototype racing. We're looking up there into the future as to where this might head or it might head, you know, uh, to, the, to the very highest echelons. But we want to just spend a year finding out what this is all about. Let's put an LMP3 car out on the track because we don't have to blow our mind on it. And it's and it's we can we can run a very, very, you know, credible racing car in a very, very tight and uh, and high level series mm-hmm. and dip our toe in the water of, of LMP racing. Uh, I'm just I'm just delighted to be there for that for that process with them and hopefully 
uh, help as much as I can with with that with that process that journey. Unfortunately, we we can't uh, speak to Graham Goodwin of DailySportsCar.com. He's got uh, uh, other duties tonight. I know he was uh, listening to that interview earlier on, but he's not able to join us at the moment. But uh, I was very interested in what Richard had to say about the comparisons, the cost comparisons, and the business comparisons with uh, GT3. I, I followed up. Um, uh, with uh, a couple of people when I knew that we were going to get this exclusive uh, about the, the GT3 uh, argument and it's a little over half the cost to do a uh, LMP3 as it is to do a GT3 campaign in ELMS and to me that's a, that's a no-brainer because you've got a fixed cost for the cost of the car for the buying of the car um, that will last a certain number of years whereas in in GT3, there's no, you've got absolutely no control at all over the upgrade costs every year, which I do seem to remember Graham and I talking about this a while ago and saying that it was, I think one year, it was over €100,000 for the Ferrari upgrade kit. Well, that's more than half the price of buying another LMP3 car. So from a business point of view, it works uh, as well. Um, you haven't sat in the car yet. You, you haven't driven a GT, uh, an LMP3 yet? No, no, I've not been in one. Um is it the sort of car that you feel you're going to get comfortable with straight away? Bit of a, you know, it's a difficult question because you haven't, but you've got P2 experience, you've got single-seater experience. This is a downforce car with slicks and wings. Absolutely. Um, I'm hoping that's going to be the case. I'm, I'm quite sure that it is going to be the case. I know the way that um, Honor Oak go about developing uh, racing cars because I've been part of it with the with the JSP2 program. So, uh, and I know most of the people that that will have been involved in that. I, I know Olivier, of course, who's mm-hmm. uh, who's probably been doing most of the driving for that um, development process. So yes, I think that that's gonna that's gonna be the case. Obviously, every race car is its own entity, and you don't uh, you don't jump in any race car at any time with a with a complacent mindset because that's that's when the good that's when the good stuff doesn't happen. But uh, we're gonna work incredibly hard on making sure the cars at the front. But uh, hopefully, my previous experience of uh, of this kind of race car is going to play into my hands. Uh, Matt Hunter and Dave Olcott asking on at Speculation about the uh, the costs. Um, I'm not going to ask you this, Alex, but as I said, I did a bit of, of running around. Uh, we know what the costs of LMP3 are because they are fixed cost, effectively. Um, Two hundred thousand euros, as you heard Richard saying there, for a car. So that's four hundred thousand if you bought two. That's euros. Four hundred thousand euros. See it fast. It doesn't sound that much. Uh, a reasonable amount of money um, would be maybe another uh, 100 to 150,000 for wheels and spares and cost package. From what I've pitched around, a decent budget to put two cars into the ELMS next year would be well under a million euros, probably eight to 900,000 euros, depending on how much testing you're going to do. That's two cars and you own the cars. Uh, plus, you'll get a run at Le Mans in that as well. Now, put that against the cost of a GT3 car. The cheapest GT3 car that I can find quoted prices for at the moment is an Audi R8 for 2016. That's £400,000 for the car. So two of those is £800,000. A spares package on the top, let's say £100,000 a piece for that. That's a million pounds. And you haven't turned a wheel yet. So those that are asking that, there is, uh, there is the comparison uh, for Matt and for Dave Olcock uh, who are asking that. It's a, a GT3 
their costs have just spiralled. It's great racing, yes, but there is a difficulty of making a, a business case. And I thought the other thing that was interesting, and I'll ask you this in a broader sense, not necessarily United Order Sport sense, uh, if you don't mind, Alex, is what Richard said about GT3. You go to these high-profile races, even in Blancpain, but certainly if you go to the Nürburgring, Spa 24... We've said they're a very good team and other very good teams with the right equipment and the right drivers just can't compete against factory-backed or full factory GT3 cars. Uh, absolutely. It's which very, must be highly frustrating. For sure, absolutely. I mean, my, my experience of, of, of that kind of thing is um, is doing the Spa 24 Hours with Fortec in, the, mm-hmm. in their first year in the Mercedes SLS. We, we found a very, very similar thing, um, to be honest, that year. Um, but that's why, that's why something like LMP3, I mean, you, you look at it, you've got... Uh, I, know, I know GT3 does as well in, in many echelons, but you have a, a, a spec tyre and a very, a very, very, you know, to a high degree spec car. I know there are different manufacturers available, but you feel like if you, you know, you're buying a car from a sensible manufacturer, you're going to be able to compete. So, yes, there is, there's not that kind of uh, dark cloud over it, the black art of running, of running the kind of car. You know, it's got slicks and wind, slicks and wings. It's going to behave sensibly. Mm. Um, so, if you're smart and sharp and got, and have got your ducks in a row, you're going to be able to make one go fast. Heard Richard there talking about you being a team leader. Um, you're still quite a young man, uh, although obviously you're a single seat career, you're an old age pensioner, apparently. Um, <laughs> hmm, maybe. Um, that's quite a responsibility for you. Uh, you ready to take that challenge on? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be a great journey, and it's it's. It's all about what I can learn from the process as well, um, because I, I think every everybody you meet in motorsport has has something to teach you, whether whether it's immediately apparent or not. In this case, with the amount of experience that United Autosports have running various different race cars in many many different categories, it is immediately obvious. They they've just got so much experience in running a team effectively. Um, but I have been to Le Mans three times. I know how these series work in well, you, terms of well, also you know what a, a, a prototype car should feel like Correct. all right a p2 car but ultimately um you know it, it's a similar concept isn't it so you know if you've driven a, an f3 car and you jump into a, a renault 3.5 um or um, a formula renault it, you know the power point might be different uh, in terms of how the car delivers its power and its lap times, but effectively you're talking about a slicks and wings prototype. I think I think you've uh, you gain an experience as well from jumping in all of the different types of chassis uh, of of P2 car. I mean, there was a point where before this latest iteration of of P2 cars came out, I'd driven every chassis that there was in P2, uh, and I think there's a generation of of racing drivers that that never drive anything that doesn't have a Renault engine or a Dallara mm. chassis, mm. Uh, and that and that kind of uh, varying uh, approach that's required for all of the different cars does does give you a kind of a a body of experience that hopefully you can apply later on. I mean, I'm not saying we're going to get it perfect first time. We're going to have to work away at it. It's going to be a challenge because there's going to be some serious, com- seriously competitive guys out there in seriously competitive cars. Um, but hopefully it will stand me in good stead to be able to uh, to, to lead the program forward uh, uh, with obviously the help of uh, United Autosports. We, we don't know who your teammates are, are going to be. Um, we still wait, as, as Richard said there, for how the driver rankings 
uh, will work. You are currently a... Gold. Gold. Okay. Um, so we'll wait to see how that uh, shakes out. This from Dave Alcock says, uh, did you miss the Radio Le Mans commentary booth at Shanghai and do you have a drive for Bahrain? Um, uh, yes, I did miss the Radio Le Mans commentary booth You've been Shanghai. very good and thank you very much for helping out. <laughs> because, uh, yeah, from uh, by, by merit of being in, in, the, in the car. Yeah. Um, and I am not in a car for Bahrain. Yet. 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 How um, did you find that Pegasus outing? It's a one-off. It wasn't the latest car by any stretch of the matter. I think it was one of the older chassis uh, in the P2 field. You let me down because it took you more than the six laps that I confidently predicted that you would drive through the field and lead P2. But lead P2 you did, and for some time and in some style, and you did a very long stint in that car. Nearly, In fact, was it half the race? Just over half the yeah, race? Yeah, I got out as the clock ticked over three hours. Yes, yeah. uh, just, over, just over half the race. So anybody who... Uh, had any worries about your your race fitness uh i say pa to them um that said did you enjoy it because it was a it was an endurance in every sense of the word oh absolutely brilliant to be to be back in again i loved it and um obviously we, we came to the weekend with not we we didn't think we were going to be leading the race honestly when we when we arrived to the weekend we looked at delivering uh the performance that the car might be able to and we knew that we didn't have the latest uh aero kit on that morgan on the michelin tire which is not perhaps the ideal scenario for the dry um, but then when it rained early on race morning we knew that there was potentially something to be done and uh, and found ourselves at the front of the field which mm. which was great um and it, it was great to be racing up with the with the kind of latest development coupe cars in you know, in LMP2 terms, kind of mm. something which is almost a, probably a t- what 2008 chassis hasn't changed no, too much right. too much since then. But plays plays the uh, the 2014 um, Ligier. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it worked out it worked out very nicely for us. Uh, fortunately, it dried up just a just a wee bit too early. You could have done with another half an hour or 45 minutes of rain. We really you? could that have been an upset. We really could have done with. Uh, we really Did, could was have there a point there where you where you looked at the gap that you guys had and the weather conditions? Because there was a point just before, I think. Uh, a, Round about sort of three and a half, four hours, where it got very dark again, and in fact it started to rain again. You were in the pits by then. Did you think, hello, this might be on here? This could, this could be a bit of an upset. You no, know, to be honest, there was a moment in the car just a wee bit earlier than that, about kind of two hours forty-five, where it was raining quite hard. Mm, it was. And uh, and we were uh, effectively the Michelin wet sits in the sits in just in that window. We were really, we were really, really quick on track. And I thought, you know what, we might actually pull this out of the bag here. <laughs> <laughs> that, so that's that's going to be that's going to be a great result but you know it wasn't to be having said that really enjoyed being back at the front of an LMP2 field and uh, it, it was great it was great to be back in the car uh, it, it's been it's been a while since you've been at that level of competition your last full season of racing would have been in IMSA in WEC, WEC in 2013 says. I did uh, IMSA most of IMSA last year yes. and, and Le Mans 24 hours Okay, so okay, so so you haven't seen the P1 cars other than that Le Mans 24 for a little while. Um, they've come on, haven't they? Blimey, My have goodness they? me! Uh, again, you know what was it? I think six seconds off the qualifying lap record at uh, at Shanghai in a year. That's remarkable, isn't it? That's absolutely unbelievable, isn't it? And I tell you what, from on track, the thing which blows your mind is the grip they have in those wet conditions so not the acceleration out the corners with the uh, the with acceleration the is what everybody talks about and you expect it but when when one comes past you and goes into turn one 
with the the sheer amount of grip they the the confidential tire is giving them mm-hmm. it's it's remarkable remarkable the amount of speed they can take through the the faster apexes that's very interesting yeah. that's, and did you notice a difference then from when you were up against them at Le Mans in in previous years they, they, can you almost see the development in that in that uh, Oh that yeah, way. absolutely. I mean, when when for example at 20 in 2014 in Ligier, there was a point in the race where we were in fact even over the average of the race through the Porsche curves, uh, we were something like second or third fastest in yes. that car in relation to the yes. the P1 traffic. But they've definitely moved on in terms of sorting the chassis out and I think molding the chassis setup together with the delivery of power from the hybrid system and getting out of the corner they it's it's clear it's clear for me on the track that, that everything's made a big big step forward yeah and, the, and they've learned a lot as well a couple of questions if i may alex and we're not going to ask you to disappear tonight stay around uh, as long as you like a number of people asking you about potentially getting in a car uh, with your dad it was talked about some some years ago um I'll pick my words very carefully here. I suspect that an LMP3 car might not be the best choice for your dad. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think he'd be keen, to be honest. I mean, well, I... he's done a bit of F1 driving lately, hasn't he, for, with, yep. his, with his job on the telly, and he's been thoroughly enjoying it. And he was on it as well. Yeah, Absolute, yes. Absolutely. Didn't he shunt the Mercedes? <laughs> no, not the Mercedes. No, no. He did. He had a, he had a, a little... Uh excursion in the force india oh the force india that's earlier right on, yes earlier on in the year but Matt, he was he was on it in the mercedes i went i went down to watch him that day and um yeah in the in the the track was seriously seriously wet mm. uh came through with rooster tails coming out the back flat out flat out in uh in seventh so it didn't look like he was didn't look like he was holding back too much but yeah i mean i'm sure it'd be something he'd be up for again but it's whether the opportunity comes um, enjoyable in 2012, but I'm not sure if it'll come to pass again. Couple, uh, couple more uh, tweets coming in um, for you, um, Mike Headland. Hello, Mike. Nice to hear you're listening again. Um, 2016 is going to be very interesting. He says, I don't disagree with you there, uh, Mike. Uh, and a number of people saying, very surprised that you haven't got a seat at Bahrain, but clearly from what you've said, and, and you don't need to give me. Um, uh, you don't need to give me uh, any uh, major details, but clearly you're still working on that. Uh, looking looking at options, it'd be nice to be out in the car there, but it's just a case of who's got a, a free seat. Obviously, there's plenty of championships on the line ah, and, that, and that kind of stuff. So uh, anything competitive is going to be full of the uh, going to be full of the full season drivers. That said, um, it's great to uh, it, it's great to work with the top teams, and, uh, and I'm in contact with them all the time. Uh, stick around, as I say, if you need to go, because I know you've got to get uh, back down the road in a wee while, uh, do, but we've got some more sports car news coming up, and Tim Gray, something actually that, that uh, came up there, which I thought was very interesting, I'd be interested to hear the, the collective comments uh, on this, uh, Richard Dean mentioning that the choice Talking of the Ligier... Uh, neighbours? Yes, it, it, mentioning that the choice of LMP3 chassis was absolutely influenced by the fact that Ultimately, they want to go P2 racing. And because Ginetta wasn't chosen as one of the 2017 chassis suppliers, then Leisure made a, a, a better choice to, to build an ongoing relationship with a with a chassis manufacturer. And, and that fits in. We were going to talk about this with Graham, but as I say, unfortunately, Graham can't join us uh, tonight at the moment, at least. Uh, we'll see if we can get him on before the end of the programme. But he's got uh, some quite important stuff going on uh, back at, uh, at the headquarters at the moment. Um, 
a press release this week that came out of just this morning, uh, in fact. Uh, was it was it just this morning? Yeah. Was it out of out of Garforth, uh, which which puts a bit more meat on those bones as well? This is from Janetta. Yes, Janetta have uh, launched a new car, uh, which appears to be the old car with a new engine and a new name. And a new name. It's now called the G fifty seven. Right. Uh, they do describe it in their press release as the car that finished first and second in the European Le Mans series. Uh, LMP3 Championship, uh, and they say that they've been the dominant force throughout the inaugural LMP3 season. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, true, because the, until the last round, there's, the, they were the only people out there. As, and, and as Richard Dean rightly said, you know, Lawrence Tomlinson, the head man at, uh, at, at Jeanette, it took a bit of a punt. I think he talked about putting 10 chassis down and delivered five of them to the first race at Silverstone, which was an Herculean feat. Um, but they're talking about this in other terms now, not as a P3 car, Tim. Well, we've mentioned with Graham only a couple of weeks ago uh, that the market for LMP3 cars is not restricted to ACO-sanctioned LMP3 races. There are mm. many other series that will take these, and Janetta is looking at selling cars to these other series. Not just other series, of course. Uh, several have been sold to, uh, for track day use as well. Not just of the Ginetta, I believe. Um, well, there was always a track day version of the Ginetta that took a, a different engine because don't forget LMP3 is a spec engine and drivetrain. That's the, the Nissan uh, engine yes. and drivetrain. So, and that's an Orica product anyway. Uh, they look after that. Um, I think there was a separate version with a, with different nomenclature from Ginetta that meant it could have a uh, a different engine packaging specifically for, for, for track days. But this is something different again, I believe. This is the, well, the Ginetta G57 will have a Chevrolet LS3 engine, which produces uh, 580 brake horsepower, which is very Which nice. is the same engine that's in the back currently of the Le Mans prototype challenge cars in the States, interestingly. Uh, so the states will be a market for this, uh, in one place or another. He says, uh, try not to give too much away about things that probably haven't been announced yet. <laughs> well, no. If, frankly, if you think you know something, so does this? I haven't seen the press release. Sorry, I've been super busy today. Um, so, does it say um, what applications this car would be? Uh, effective, effective within. Does it mention any championships? Is it? Uh, well, V to V, as uh, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, uh, will take these car. And the press release goes on to say various open sports car championships. And it has a traction control option as well. Uh, this new car, uh, by the way, um, it could be a number of people already tweeting in. Oh, hello! Is this a viable uh, prototype challenge? Come the tender. In uh, 2017, one of the issues that they had when they tested the uh, the full LMP3 spec Ginetta was the lap times. Although, in fairness, the car wasn't it was se- hideously wet as well. It was it was terrible conditions. It was at Watkins Glen just before Watkins Glen was dug up. It didn't have any kind of setup on for Watkins Glen, and it had power steering problems. Um, so, ringing a lap time out if it was always going to be somewhat challenging, shall we say. Um, the inside ha- word from Ginetta on that test is, uh, despite the issues, they were pleased with how it went. And uh, they have, I believe, made a sale off the back of that test. Well, that car stayed in the States and was sold off the back of that test. 
So that car did not come home, the one that did the test. It was sold uh, at that test and and remains uh, in the States. Um, I do think it's very interesting that the V8 option has been plugged onto that car because that's a very, very well-known and well-liked engine package uh, in the States that uh, clearly is a, is a very different marketplace from the, um, the LMP3 uh, the LMP3 formula uh, that that the ACO have have proposed for for Europe. But what it any, doesn't any say is uh, what the power, the rest of the powertrain. So what gearbox uh, it's going to be using? Whether it uh, is using the same gearbox that is being used by the IMSA uh, championships that run that engine. Um, so that's, uh, I don't know if you know the answer to that, John. Uh, I don't. Um, I th- no. I'm I'm not going to say what I was going to say because I don't know. I I think I know what gearbox the LMPC cars use in the states. Uh, it it could be that they still use the same uh, gearbox that that's uh, FI uh, sorry ACO LMP3 cars use with that engine but I don't know um, it, I mean things like suspension pickup points and things like that will be affected by what engine and gearbox so it, there'll have to be a bit of re-engineering done to that but frankly there's no chance that uh, Janetta will be announcing that if they hadn't already done it as I said and I think this is key that car that chassis that monocoque let me put it in those terms, was always going to be, according to Lawrence Tomlinson, a multi-purpose monocoque, not just an LMP3, because the economies of scale then made it easier to hit the cost cap uh, limit. And, you know, um, Lawrence, being a a good Yorkshire lad, wants to get uh, best value out of everything he does. And it uh, it was always planned that there would be other options. A bit like when Lola did a P2 car. They didn't do it just for one engine. They did it with the thought that down the line, a number of engine options could be accommodated. Uh, and, and that was always the thinking when the when the Janetta LMP3 monocoque was designed. So it'll be interesting to see what else and what other options that they uh, come up. Uh, Parry without... Lindsay has just tweeted, is it not an extract box? Um, I believe it is an extract box in the That would sound uh, LMP... logical, to be honest. LMPC, yeah. Uh, without moving too far away from this story, it doesn't mean that Janetta aren't going to be supporting customers who do want to race in LMP3. No, that's right. The uh, ELMS. Uh, and one team was already committed to doing that. That's Lannan Racing. Mm-hmm. Well, let's not forget they did win the championship, as you mentioned earlier on. Lannan Racing, and who were they? Uh, I go on. Uh, Alex. I, I believe I believe they run. Uh, do they not run Janetta Juniors? They have quite a, a, a long-standing relationship with them. Do they not? Yes, I think you're um, absolutely right. Um, and it is an extract sequential box uh, in terms of the gay box uh, before. So Lannan Racing is stepping up to an LMP3 to race where, Tim? In the European Le Mans series. Excellent. Interestingly, I think I've seen them in F4 as well, Lannan yes, Racing. Yes, that's so where you have seen them, Formula so 4. They've, they've got kind of... It, it's quite interesting the, t- the type of team you're, you're seeing where you, they're offering the youngster almost an option... Right, which way, which way do you want to go then? Do you want to go off in the LMP3 direction or, or carry on down the down the single-seater route? 
it, it's up to you and it's interesting that they've made that choice to 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 offer those those two paths isn't it mm. just and... a quick a quick follow-up tim sorry because these the twitter is uh, scrolling down very quickly at the moment fair use um, and a number of people uh, asking about lmp3 aco it is the uh, nissan motor and uh, gearbox setup um, which orica supply uh, what is the spec motor for all the p3 cars regardless of the chassis so everybody has the same power unit everybody has the same gearbox it's only the chassis and the aero kits of course uh, for each of the individual manufacturers that are different but the powertrain is common between all of the i think now five different manufacturers uh, there's no suggestion as tim says also to answer a few tweets that janetta uh, won't be taking part in lmp uh, three although we're yet to find out how many of those manufacturers who said they are producing or indeed have produced cars actually homologate them because i don't think the homologation date for next year is uh, actually uh, is actually up yet and this year they were running under a waiver i'm not sure anybody homologated cars for this year and we're still waiting to see who homologates cars for 2016 with it being a brand new formula homologation was left open in case people found out anything about the cars that they've run this year that needed to be changed before they moved into uh, close competition next year sorry tim carry on uh, just to pick up on Alex's point about taking young drivers and uh, moving them into LMP3, well, of course, this year's LMP3 champion is uh, one such driver. Uh, Charlie Robertson yep. uh, started off by winning the uh, Genetta Junior Championship. Mm -hmm. uh, he, as his prize for winning the LMP uh, title, along with his teammates Chris Hoy, uh, have been in Estoril this week, uh, enjoying the rain. Uh, but also testing Greaves Motorsport uh, Gibson Nissan LMP2 car, which is their prize. Ah, oh, very good. So, uh, so Chris Hoy uh, tested it on Monday, uh, just about, because his flight was delayed by fog, uh, but he did make it in the end. Uh, Charlie uh, got in the car yesterday morning and at lunchtime said... Simply unbelievable. I've never experienced anything like it. I'm absolutely loving this. I don't want to get out. And all he did was have lunch with Tim Greaves. <laughs> Very <laughs> good. By the end of the day, uh, he had changed that to, what a car, what a team. Today has been mega. Hmm. Ever since I was a small boy, I've always wanted to drive a P2. And, did you say that? Uh, you didn't say that. You know, you've listened to this show enough, Alex, to know that every press release we ever see, it's always said, ever since I was young, ever since I started <laughs> being motor racing, I always wanted to do... X, Y, Z, whatever it's about. So I expected you to say the first thing. Ever since I was a small boy, I've always wanted to drive for Richard Dean. <laughs> I'm very disappointed. Maybe, maybe I did, I just didn't know it yet. <laughs> Richard was expecting you to say that as well. Yeah. <laughs> mm. They are good, though. The current P2 cars, they do feel mega when you jump in them the first time, I remember, from my first testing one. So I, I relate completely to, to, to his words. There. It'll be interesting to get you on when you've driven the P3 car. And then we can get you to talk about the comparisons and more importantly about how much of a learning tool it's going to be for people who haven't driven a current prototype before. And, you know, who it will benefit, whether it's people from single seaters, people from a GT background, you know... That that Janetta ladder that we've been talking about is very interesting because effectively, um, 
up until re recently, when you know Janetta was still talking about having a P2 car, had Janetta had a P2 car, you would have been able to start in a Janetta Junior and go all the way into the Le Mans 24 Hours in the same mark. And that's very that's a, that's an interesting way to be able to build that relationship with a manufacturer. No, absolutely. Aston doing a similar thing with the the Evolution Academy. Yeah. Uh, there have always been, you know, obviously, Nissan um, doing a similar thing uh, up until recently, but in a slightly different way with 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 GT Academy. But yeah, I think it's important to have to have a. Um, a way up into the you know up into the higher echelons but on the other hand if you make things too formulaic i've always thought that uh, professional drivers if you want to do inverted commas guys that are not you know throwing money at it and moving forward inhabit the almost the holes and the cracks in the system where there is <laughs> where there is that, where there is that overlap of available drives or available funding somewhere without you know somewhere somehow without a guy to fill the seat mm. and you put the fast boy in and the fast boy does a good job and then moves into the the next opportunity if you make a, a ladder really really formulaic like that lmp3 to lmp2 to lmp1 eventually you do start what you see in single seaters which is the the bidding war mm. um the the that moves you know for, for the best seat in the best championship in order to get up into the into the next category alex brundle is our guest on midweek motorsport um this week and we'll have more from him in a little while i've just had the very good news uh, alex is going to stay around i've just had the very good news that we will have graham goodwin of daily sports Guard. Uh, after nine o'clock tonight, Marshall Pruitt from Racer.com will also uh, be with us. Our second exclusive tonight, uh, and by the way, that uh, uh, thank you very much to Richard Dean, to United Autosports, and to Alex, because there was a, a an embargo for everybody else till nine o'clock tonight, and we were allowed to break that early. We haven't broken any confidences. That was um, a, a special dispensation for us here. So uh, we're we're doing that time travel thing again and getting ahead of things. Our second world. It would have been exclusive. difficult to have Alex there just sitting, not saying anything for an hour, though, wouldn't it? Well, I don't know. He's quite full from dinner. If, I, if <laughs> he's going to have a nap. He's, he's going to have a snooze <laughs> a moment ago. He's just sitting sitting down again. We'll chat more with him uh, after uh, nine o'clock tonight. Eve Hewitt, the Managing Director of Radio Shore Limited, joins us uh, now. Good evening, Eve. Good evening. Good evening, And you're, you're, uh, you're part of our, um, our second global exclusive tonight. Which is? The team from Radio Show Limited, RadioLeMond.com, will be providing the global commentary for the Bathurst 12 Hours. And this is the first time we've been able to confirm this because there's a new sheriff in town as far as the Liquid Molly Bathurst 12 Hours is concerned. Uh, it's, the, it's probably one of the questions we've been asked the most uh, since the race this year. Um, there's been a, a, a little bit of uh, behind-the-scenes wrangling to get on with uh, the new... Uh, the new kids in town who are via supercars, of, of course, uh, have taken on the running yes, from the from James O'Brien from, from the very lovely Yeehaw. James O'Brien and Yeehaw uh, events. James is staying on as a consultant, and uh, uh, obviously the uh, a, a new uh, a new management, a new set of logistics. How's it been dealing with via supercars? It's been great. It's been great. They've been they've been fabulous. Um, obviously, I've been dealing mostly with Murray Hodges. 
um, but uh, John Casey, who's the event director, has been enormously supportive. So, yeah, it, it's it's great. We're really looking forward to it. The Harbingers of Doom, um, of course, as soon as they heard of uh, this uh, new alliance for the the Bathurst, the Liquid Molly Bathurst 12 hours, um, were saying, well, that's it. They've only, how many times do we hear this in our business? They've only bought it to shut it down. Um, which is a, a bizarre thing, uh, really. Um, far, far away from that, they um, they want to develop it. Uh, James O'Brien has, has recognised that he's taking taking the event as far as he can, and, and quite far indeed in the the last few years. Yeah, I mean we've been we're, we've done it for three years, haven't we? Um, and that's been a great partnership. It was an absolute joy to work with uh, with James and his team. But but you know quite rightly, you get to a point of critical mass, and you need someone with the wherewithal to, to take that to the next level and I think he recognised that, that the guys at V8 Supercars were the guys to do that. And the crucial point about this is V8 Supercars as well as being a series is an event management company yeah. that run all of the V8 Supercars events which obviously takes up quite a bit of their time but frankly they do have some spare capacity to do other things and they're expanding into other parts of motorsport. Yeah and, and the great thing with them coming to, to Bathurst 12 hours is that they, they didn't walk in and say, hey, hey, we know everything about everything. We'll just change it all. They've said, we recognise that there's a lot of wonderful things about this event that we want to keep. And thankfully, they think that we're one of them. Uh, yes. Uh, and and also that they're holding on to the Channel 7 TV deal, which was uh, has been part of it ever since we've been a part of it. Last year was groundbreaking in the whole of the 12 hours was broadcast free to air on national television in Australia. Uh, that will continue. The question that we're going to see popping up, uh, if it hasn't already, on Twitter at Spectatainment and at uh, Radio Le Mans is what about the streaming? Does that change? Is it going to be a, a different package? Is it going to be particularly a subscription package? No, not that I'm aware. Um, I'm sure it would have come up by now if it was going to if it was going to go that way. Um, we'll have some more details closer to the event. But certainly that hasn't uh, that hasn't surfaced as an option. So the plan at the moment is very much as you were with audio coverage of the early sessions and then the streaming video and the video coverage of or the TV coverage if you're in Australia uh, of the of the race itself on uh, on the Sunday for the the full 12 hours. Yep. Okay. Thank you very much, Eve. You're for welcome. Doing that. Looking forward to it. Yes, always. Logistically, a bit of an issue this year. Yes. Or this coming year, I say. Yes, the team will be going straight to the the team that's going will be going straight from Daytona to Sydney. So, yeah. Mm, that's interesting. Pack a bag for a longer time. Here comes Tuesday. Here comes Tuesday. Here comes, oh no, there's Tuesday's disappeared. Yes, all oh, international deadline. Never yes, done that before. Yeah. That's going to be very interesting. Uh, Eve Hewitt is the managing director of Radio Short Limited, and uh, that news uh, coming. Uh, to us and confirmed for the first time uh, that's an, another world exclusive that uh, Radio Show Limited will be providing the international feed for the Liquid Molly Bathurst 12 Hours uh, in the first weekend of February 2016 and it'll very much be as you were in terms of that thank you very much indeed for everybody who have uh, have passed on the lovely comments you've been to Bathurst before Alex? I've never been to Bathurst I would love to go, it's, have on, to go. it's on the bucket list yeah It took me 50 years of my life to go down there and that was probably 45 years too long because you know when you go to certain places, um, Watkins Glen was another one for me like this, 
you build it up so much in your mind and sometimes it's like when you meet somebody who's your hero and you build them up so much in your mind and then when you meet them it's a bit of a disappointment yeah. not Bathurst not Bathurst yeah. not Bathurst I got a few laps last year in uh, um, one of the sort of the Dunlop series that which is the the, the secondary series to uh, to the V8 supercars I got a few laps driving uh, one of those around the mountain on on the Monday and uh, just life changing you know, with racetracks, I've actually never found that. Every all of the great all of the great racetracks you visit, you think, oh, this one will this one will be this one will look impressive. This one will look impressive. You get there, and it always you you look at the corner and you think, really? Like the the cork, you know, Eau Rouge the first time you see it, the corkscrew yes. at Laguna Seca, uh, the Porsche curves the first time you trundle through them on your on your mountain bike uh, when you anticipate doing nice. Le Mans the first time. Uh, it, they always they always blow your head off <laughs> the first time you, you you look at these things. It, it's yeah, isn't it lovely that we work in an industry because that's what it is where our expectations are more often fulfilled than being disappointed. Oh man, that that's motorsport, isn't it? That's motorsport. It's uh, yeah, it, and and stuff happens so quickly. That's that's what I that's what I love about it. Um, Fine, a question, uh, last question uh, before we uh, take the break for half time from Tim Gray. You have something for Alex? No, that was uh, when we were trying to fill earlier. Uh, okay, uh, no problem. In which case, it is half time. Midweek motorsport. And if you've spent the first part of the show counting, you should be up to 3,600 by now. Uh, that's the first. <laughs> sorry, I was just trying to work that out. Uh, that's the first half of the show gone. Still to come in hour number two, uh, we will be joined by Graham Goodwin of DailySportsCar.com and uh, Marshall Pruitt from Racer.com is standing by on the left-hand coast of the United States. Lots of sports car news to come. No Nick Damon tonight, uh, so we'll not be seeing too much uh, about the Formula One. Although clearly we can speak to Alex about it, and uh, if we don't tell you who it is, all of the English listeners will just think it's his dad because he really does sound like him. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's Series 10, Episode 44, live here on RadioLamont.com. Stay listening for more. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLamont.com. Uh, that is the thing that people uh, uh, still say. You must get bored of saying that. How much you sound like your dad, particularly when we, it's just on radio and people can't hear you. It's it's um. It's the phone. When when I pick up the phone, I like, hello. Oh, hello, Martin. Oh, no, 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 no. Not no. Think think younger and more hair. Mm. <laughs> uh. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It is Series Ten, Episode uh, Forty Four. Uh, let's. Uh, Tim, can I can we uh, stay with the sports cars and then we can get Graham up yes. uh, as well. Um, we have a Shanghai. sports car exclusive, don't we? Uh, we may have with Graham. It depends. Uh, we're waiting for Graham for that. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, I've got a sports car story then. Go on then. Let's do that quickly. Uh, which has come from uh, the FIA WEC. Yes. Uh, they say Bonne Nouvelle. Yes. Uh, as they're going to do. Uh, no good news. All right. Oh yes. Sorry. Bonne Nouvelle. Yes. Uh, tickets are now on sale for the six hours of Spa Francorchamps. Next year. Yes. Okay, uh, we'll have some ticket news actually uh, later on in this hour. I forgot to mention that in the still to come uh, segment. Oh yes, yes, that's uh, that's going to happen as well. Uh, and if you buy tickets to the Spa Six Hours, you get free children. <laughs> you may have translated that wrong. Well, it's their translation, not mine. 
three, three children or three children? Three F R W. Under twelve years old. Oh, okay. I think we need to move on from that very quickly. Uh, Alex and I were both at Shanghai uh, at the weekend. Alex doing his day job and me doing my day job as well. We uh, certainly missed him. Before you uh, go it, on, can I interrupt yes. again? Earlier on, are you on, going to? Yeah. Earlier on, Alex said, well, I already have. Uh, earlier on, Alex said, I've been to Le Mans three times and you interrupted him and I thought you were going to say, I've been to Le Mans 30 times. Mm. Uh, not quite didn't. that many yet. No, well, you not have quite if that. you include the test days and oh, uh, oh yes, no, easily yes, more than classics. that. Much more than that, absolutely. Um, so uh, we were both at Shanghai doing our day jobs, and uh, whilst uh, Alex was uh, doing a bit of practice in qualifying, I wandered down to the ESM garage, and the guys at Tequila Patron uh, ESM, Extreme Speed Motorsport, uh, Ed Brown and uh, Scott Sharp uh, we've been keeping in touch with them over the years as you uh, well know and effectively that was their one year anniversary they announced that they were going to do the full FIA WEC uh, at Shanghai last year and I know that they jumped into the quarter race uh, before that but we thought it would be a good chance to catch up with Ed and Scott uh, just to find out how the first year has gone along uh, we'll, we'll speak to Scott in just a little while but first I asked Ed just about the highs and lows of the first 12 months in the FIA World Endurance Championship. Well, it's been a long, long year. Uh, you know, the start out the season and uh, the way we had to with the 04B and then, you know, running to Daytona and then switching back to the 03B for uh, Sebring and then Silverstone and then finally getting to the, the Legers. It's a, it's been a challenge for the team, especially, and then you know for all of us drivers to get up to speed in a car, but on tracks that you know 80% of us have never seen before. So it, it's been it's been a challenging year for sure. Yeah, listen, the team, you know, we threw we, we, Scott and I both are known to throw a lot of curveballs at this team, and uh, we we threw a lot this year. But the team really responded, and they did a you know a beautiful job. The whole WC experience, you know, from uh, our tire manufacturer and, and, and our chassis manufacturer and, and HPD, you, you know, has been fantastic. And just the WEC, the professionalism, and and the racing is it's the best. You know, you you, you know, there's no muss, no fuss. You make a mistake, you get you know spanked by the race director, but you know that's the way it should be, and it's uh, uh, it's really a pleasure to, to to race here, and you know to race against all these guys is awesome. From the business side, and it's something that we don't actually talk about probably enough. How has the activation gone? Because the the whole reasoning for you being here rather than in any other series with Tequila Patron was from the activation and the business side of thing. So has that lived up to expectations? Well, again, a big learning experience. Uh, you know, I thought I think a lot of my team thought you could go in and do kind of the things that we did in the U.S. and and be successful. But there's a lot more people at these races, and they're a lot more spread out in the areas that they are. So uh, actually, I thought we did a really good job in Japan, and uh, I think we'll you know. This is a tough market, you know, uh, as far as the fans that, that come out, you know, that I don't think there are a lot of big drinkers, you know, but China's a huge market for us, and so we're throwing another big party down in town, and, and uh, so that that's great. But, yeah, we're learning a lot, and so I think coming out of the box next year, you're going to see some things that we do from the activation side that will just be fantastic. And, uh, you know, one thing we're looking at is that actually like having a golf cart, like at a golf course, serving drinks and going around through the crowd because not everybody's going to come walk to where the tent Good is, point. you know, because there's 
spread out and they want to watch racing. Uh, you know, because the fans, you know, in the WC are way more passionate, you know, than I think in, in, in the U.S. So they're actually watching the race versus uh, uh, goofing off. So, yeah, it, it, but it's important. And, you know, we're going to keep on learning. It's just like, you know, when we first started activating in the U.S., it took us a lot of years to figure how to do it best. And, you know, uh, I think my team got up to speed pretty quick this year with that. But uh, I, we'll be much better at it next year. And finally, coming back to life on the racetrack, a um, couple of races left in the season, still 12 hours of racing left in the season, let's not forget. W- what would you like to see from Tequila Patron, ESM, and from yourself as we head through uh, Shanghai here and on the bar in? You know, I think we expect a lot here because we've been here and... Uh we want to be, you know, super competitive. You know, Bahrain's another one we're just going to go to and learn the track and, you know, uh, hopefully, you know, get lucky and, and, and get a podium, but more more so just, you know, learn the track so we can come back next year and, you know, be successful at racing again. You know, that's a hard thing. You, you, most of these guys have been these tracks four or five, six times at least in their lives. And uh, so it's a huge advantage to know these tracks versus, you know, it's like us. We know Sebring and Daytona and those tracks better than they do when they come over. So uh, it's just a learning process but it, it, it's it's awesome and we're committed to this for the long term so so scott coming towards the last couple of races thoughts on tequila patron asm's year in the wac i think we're uh, thrilled to be here first off uh it's been a, a real positive experience so far um i, I think we, we walk away feeling like you really are at the pinnacle of not only sports car racing, but certainly near the, the top level of, of all of racing. And every race we go to is a, has a huge, big event feel to it from the spectators, the emotion, the atmosphere. Obviously, Le Mans, I think, blew us all away, um, the biggest race in the world. So I think from a marketing, exposure, uh, Tequila Patron perspective, it's uh, definitely where we need to be in a home run. Um, from uh, It's been a little fr- – we had a frustrating year. You know, it started off the minute you uh, – park the car you're planning on racing for the year and you park it in march it's you're, you're like tying one foot and one arm behind your your, your back so um and we scrambled you know running last year's car for a little bit and then uh and then um moving to the new Liget. it's just been catch up catch up catch up combine that with the fact that we're going to all new tracks for ourselves for the team for most of the drivers and you just you don't ever want to look at a year and say oh, okay, we're doing this as prep for 2016. But yes. in a lot of ways, that's what it became. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say that. Do you have to, in some ways, look at it as an investment for the future? Uh, you know, you and Ed have always talked about this being a long-term commitment. So is that what you take out of the year to date? You really have to, yeah. I mean, there's so many races uh, that you just can't test that weather-wise or trans- uh, transport-wise. You're not going to come here to China, for example, and test. So you get to the end of the weekend and you're like, oh, man, why can't we just hit the rewind button and start over? Now that we know the track, the team has a setup, we just feel like we could roll out and practice one and be competitive. So um, certainly end up, you do that enough times throughout the year and you feel like you say, okay, can't wait till next year when we come back to these places and we know the tracks. You make a good point, though, because although a lot of people will look at this and say, well, you know, three, four hours of free practice, then a bit of qualifying, then a six-hour race, that seems to a lot of people who do for me club racing that seems like a lot of time on track but to get through a program with potentially two cars and six drivers 
when you divide that up, that's, that's not a lot of time at all, particularly somewhere <clears> you haven't <throat> been before. It really isn't. You know, it's funny. Um, it's like Fuji. I actually loved Fuji. It had such a great fl- flow to like? it. But it's funny because we were talking like, you know, for example, a pretty tough track in the United States is Sebring. Yep. You know, 17 cir- corners are all different, lots of bumps, blah, blah, blah. But you, so you go testing there for two days. You probably run 60, 70, 80 laps as a driver if you're there and without, with good reliability and just running. At Fuji, I ran seven laps in the morning session, and I think eight laps in the afternoon. Next time I got in the car, was the race. Yeah. So right there, you see, okay, I got 15 laps versus 80. Yeah. And it, it just it is until you get to the end of the race, and all of a sudden, at the end of the race, it really came alive once the track dried out and running great laps. And it's like, darn, why can't I start come back to this track right now and do it again? It would be such a s- successful event for us. But Nevertheless, that's what we're going to come back at 16 for. Yeah, and, and again, that comes back to, as we were talking about earlier there, the, the investment in, in next year. You have been here before, but not with the same equipment. So how much, as a driver, okay, the engineers and the teams have, have got a little bit of setup work to do, but how much as a driver does that help to come back to somewhere that you know, even if it is in a different piece of machine? Uh, huge. You, know, you just, you just realise, you know, take any section of the track you know the first section of the track turns one through four you know you just you just know where to carry the speed where to wait to break where to get on the throttle how the attitude of the car has to be whereas you probably spent three or four sessions trying to figure a part of even of the race figuring that out and you know it right from the get-go so just hones things in a little bit closer as we look towards the end of the season we can't help but looking towards the start of 2016 and just seeing off mic to johannes there there's no off-season anymore. There's certainly no off-season for, for us as press and, and for you as drivers. It's pretty much on it again. You'll be headed out of the raw before the 24 in the early part of January. First of all, is there any time off that you guys get to just take a breath and take stock? Or are you basically just planning straight through? And, and what will 2016 hold for Tequila Patron ASM? Well, we're super excited for next year. I think we feel like we have sowed a lot of uh, seeds, hopefully, this year. Um, excited to be back in the wc next year and you know can't wait to go to some of those tracks and feel like we we got we got everything much more figured out but uh you know not a lot at off season you know you end up uh, we don't even get the cars back till uh right around after the holidays so i mean uh, the guys get a little break of a few weeks and we as drivers the same thing but then like you said you're right back we're gonna do the roar and you're, you're right back there racing two weeks after that you're at the daytona 24 um, then you're, you're talking about preseason WEC testing. Yep. We might, depending on how it shakes out with Paul Ricard scheduling, might try to run Sebring. It's still a little bit up in the air, but if we are, we're testing there and racing there. Yeah. And just before you know it, we're at Silverstone in April. <laughs> yeah, that's going to come around really, really quickly. Bit of unfinished business at Daytona, I suspect, from, from last year. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, once again, it was sort of, uh, uh, we ran well, um, even with all the issues that the 04B had. Um, and uh, it would have been nice to be able to finish that race. Probably could have been in the top three for sure. But that's okay. Uh, that's a tough 24 hours. It always is. Is and it a I- different mindset, Scott, <clears throat> racing, knowing you can win the race outright? You win a race here, it's in class. That's still a hell of an achievement because it's a world championship. You win a race at the Rolex 24, you've won one of the classic races outright. Is that just a little bit of a free son of, of more excitement? I think maybe a little bit if you think, you know, you're putting in the miles there. You know, don't make mistakes. Keep putting in one hour after the other. And you get yourself around to the morning or late morning and you're in, in contention. There's something there. I mean, we're all fighters. We all want to win no matter what the race is. So I don't think it changes a lot. You know, you want to do the best job every lap, every session. But if you notice you have a chance to win the big race like that, 
it's just a little bit extra oomph to, to get you through the tired moments. This we're, we're now at the end of the first day of running at Shanghai. This interview will be going into Midweek Motorsport on Wednesday coming. So when I play this out, what will have made you happy on Sunday here at Shanghai? What result, what outcome for Tequila Patron ASM and for Scott Sharp as an individual would you think would have been a successful weekend? Uh, well, nothing less than a podium. That's for sure. I like we, it. We need a podium. We've had a couple fourth place finishes the last two weekends. And um, like I said, it, we're one of the fastest cars on the track at the end of Fuji. So really, the team needs a good pump in the arm. And I think um, if we get a, a podium here, you want to say win, but I don't know if we're quite there yet with the, with, with the cars. So mm-hmm. if we could get on the podium, I think we'd all be pretty thrilled. Bahrain is the final race of the year, somewhere that you haven't been before. Some, another new track to learn. Hey, what a surprise. But it will signal the end of your first full season in the WEC. Again, if I'm standing next to you with a glass of tequila Patron at the end of season party, as I'm sure we will, what will you think will have been a successful season for the team? Well, just I think um, uh, having a strong finish, really. You know, with all the changes, you got to start to come to grips with the Elite Chassis, and we have the last few races. Um, Certainly, Onroke has helped a lot in that regard, engineering support-wise. And, um, you know, I think if we could finish with a couple podiums and feel like we're continuing to gain and, and, and narrow the gap, that will give everyone a good feeling that, uh, you know, indeed with some off-season off, off winter testing and work, it will we'll get even closer. Scott Sharp talking to me last weekend uh, at the Shanghai uh, event. Alex Brundle is still with us. Alex Brundle uh, announced tonight exclusively uh, first on this programme as the uh, the headline act of United Autosports LMP3 uh, LMS programme. <laughs> he's, he's just raised his eyebrows at me. Um, Ryan DL actually drove uh, one of the ASM cars very, very well uh, at the weekend. Uh, led the race for a little while. The conditions came back to the Dunlop tyres. Uh, it's been a tough year for them and you know, getting used to new tracks and a, a new series I thought Scott made an interesting point there a lot of people will look at four hours of practice and think, that's a heck of a lot of practice but three drivers who've never seen the tracks before, it's not that much, is it? I think it's something that particularly kind of for the the, the gentleman drivers or the you know the silver drivers in those cars is a real challenge it's, it's something you get beat as a pro driver, go, especially if you come through single seaters or F1 feeder series, getting up to speed really quickly, something you get beaten into you mm. because you turn up, you've got to run the car on new tyres, then you get, you know, a couple of laps of practice where the car's representative, and then you go and qualify. Yeah. And you just have to get up to speed. Uh, in a sports car environment, particularly in America, you do get that time, which is just not available to you in the WEC weekend because the team have so much to do to get the car dialed in. Mm-hmm. There's just not time for, to, to run like that, and um, it's clearly been a, a struggle for them. Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsCar.com, joins us from the Supreme Headquarters Endurance Di- Division. Uh, good evening, Graham. Good evening, everybody. In particular, good evening to Alex. Congratulations, young man. Hi, Graham. Uh, uh, the, uh, good to hear you, Graham. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll start with the ESM story there. Uh, great to hear that they are confirmed for 2016. Interesting to hear about the logistical issues that might keep them away from Sebring. But uh, you cottoned on to uh, potentially a bit of a change uh, in how the team might be run next year when we were, were out in the Far East at the weekend. 
Yeah, I think I think potentially is the right word, John. It's been very clear for some little while that there's going to be uh, a, a change in the focus of the Oak Racing team. I don't expect we're going to see the uh, return of the G-Drive uh, Ligiers in the current form with, in effect, a full Oak Racing team uh, backing up those cars in 2016. Uh, um, to, that there appears to be a move to uh, some considerable injection of their technical know-how uh, potentially into the Tequila Patron ESM squad. Now, I did ask Scott Sharp uh, at the weekend about this, and what he said was uh, that, yeah, absolutely enjoyed uh, and appreciated very much the the uh, the help of Oak Racing this year. They have uh, won the, the Oak Racing Engineers stationed with the ESM team, uh, but the no decisions had yet been taken. I believe we're probably looking a bit firmer than that. Uh, let's take you back to our headline story with the Alex Brundle standing next to me and uh, United Autosports, congrats all around. Um, the interesting, one of the interesting parts, a couple of the very interesting parts that came out of Richard's telephone call with us at the start of the show, GT3 price comparison and, and business case, but also the uh, fact that the LMP3 chassis choice uh, for United Autosports was certainly influenced to a, a pretty great degree uh, on the uh, and predicated on the fact that Janetta didn't get um, one of the new 2017 contracts uh, for LMP2 chassis. I hadn't thought about that before. Um, but that clearly has had business implications. Tim's uh, given us the, the press release about the new G57. This is something that you've been on for, for quite a while. Um, what, 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 do we, what are we looking at going forward here from, from Janetta and how has this affected their business plans? Well, the reality is that Janetta will continue to support the customer cars that are currently out there. We had confirmation this morning that Lannan Racing will return to the LMS with their Janetta. But the reality, I think, beyond that, John, is that they are not uh, basing their uh, business case on... Um, uh, excuse me a second. I'll turn that off. It's going to be one of those evenings, isn't it? It is going to be one of those evenings. Uh, they are not going to be basing their uh, their uh, business case on producing more LMP3 cars. Uh, they will build LMP3 cars on demand, but the reality is that they will expect their customers to procure the powertrain for them should they wish to do that. Uh, and that, I think, is fair to say, John, before to fill in the gap, indicates that there has been some parting of the ways between uh, Janetta and Orica, who uh, supply the, the powertrain, the, you know, the basically off-the-shelf powertrain with the Nissan uh, engine and the extract gearbox. Yes, very interesting. So we won't see a works Janetta or anything like it in LMS next year. Is that in fairness, John? In fairness, John, we were never going to see that. Um, it was made very clear at the start of the year that Team LNT's involvement with the two-car team we saw for the uh, the launch of LMP3 was only ever going to be a one-year program it makes perfect sense that they should do that with such an unproven product remember those cars uh, well only one of those cars have really turned a wheel before the silverstone 
uh, LMS race weekend. So it made perfect sense to actually have those cars out there, not just as a flag carrier for the new uh, the new class, but also as a development tool. And indeed, the Ginetta we saw at Silverstone is somewhat different from the Ginetta we saw much later in the year. Uh, a couple of LMP1 privateer pieces that came very, very sharply into focus at the weekend. Um, some good news, some not so good news. Uh, let's start with the good news first. Uh, and by Collis had a long chat with uh, a very chipper uh, Pierre Caffer at the week. Well, he's always smiling, isn't he? Uh, the man who claims he's 38 years old, but clearly never, is in fact never. only the same age as Alex here. He's got to be only about 25 or 26. It's ridiculous. Yeah, mirror, the mirror in the attic sort uh, is uh, is uh, Pierre, I think. Yeah, they're talking about um, a uh, two chassis being built for next year. Now, let's not get overexcited there. Very many teams build a second chassis as a spare, but my understanding is that they are looking to see whether or not they can find a customer for that second chassis. The interesting thing about that is not the same exactly as the car we're seeing this year. What they're trying to do is to address a few of the issues that exist around the current package, and in particular, that's around the uh, the... Uh, what's the right word I'm looking for? It's about how you deal with the front end. The 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 window Spe- of opportunity to yeah. actually amend the front end or to adjust the front end to set up uh, is very limited indeed. Well, um, they did a lot of work, points. did they not, Graham, this year on a, a new iteration of the car that involved the back end and effectively they've got to now balance that with some yeah. work on the front end with pick-up points and, uh, for suspension and things like that to give them, as you say, that operating window. That sounds good and there's, there's certainly a commitment there to the LMP1 privateer class which, in fairness, has not looked tremendously healthy. Both nope. you and I separately had long chats with Bart Hayden yep. um, and the Rebellion effort confirmed as champions. Well done to the guys this weekend. Um, I-, I will say, by the way, that Bart has said that the second car will definitely be in Bahrain and will race at Bahrain Excellent. because their now avowed intent is to try and get second place in the championship as well as first place uh, in the championship. So that's very interesting. Well, it gives us a fight in Bahrain, doesn't it? And I know the team are working very hard indeed to retain that two-car efforts next year. The one thing I can say about CLM and Rebellion is no sign that they plan either of them to move from the AER engine. And principally, I think that's because... Uh, the a move to something other than a turbocharged engine after the big amendments we saw to the Rebellion this year to accommodate it are just going to be too pricey. Uh, and I say that because, of course, the other little bit of news that came out uh, you know, proactively, if you like, is that Judd are looking for customers with a revised version of their AIM 5.5 litre V10. And for those of us that like lovely sounding race cars, I hope they find one. John Judd mm. told me, John Judd Sr. rather, uh, told me uh, earlier this week that he uh, he has had some interested parties uh, looking into uh, the facts and figures behind the engine. No confirmed customer yet. But the other quick thing before we move on with LMP1, John, is a second new offering from Judd's, and that's RIMSA. Uh, they've tested in the back of the Crone racing car a new 4.2-litre version of the current, what we've always referred to, by the way, is a 4-litre um BMW blocked V8. It's actually mm. 3.6. So uh, a considerable 
uh, upscaling of the, the, the Judd V8, the HK V8, that's been pretty familiar sites. And that's particularly being aimed at the market in IMSA for prototypes moving forward. When I drove that at Daytona uh, the start of the year, we, we could have gone faster, but for just the pure uh, availability of power for the engine, we were, we were absolutely topped out with the, the restrictor available to us with, with that car. That's a so nice. You, see, you see, see, John, that was where we were wrong. We thought it was just the drivers. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, well that too, but um, <laughs> that, that was, yeah. Trust that. me, because... honestly, in a straight line, I can be as quick as any pro driver. It's the rest of it that all goes horribly <laughs> wrong for me. Like downwards, falling out of a window, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> well, tr- you know, the, 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 the straight bits where all you've got to do is change gear and put your foot flat on the floor... Um, you know, it's never the driver that affects those bits. I tell you what, no straight bits around there, especially oh, when it's enough. raining. True enough. <laughs> uh, true enough. Um, excuse there, but but I think the other bit you could ask me about, John, was the the two uh, other prospective teams that yes. uh, we've been sniffing around and, and there. Okay, well let's be be clear about what we've been told uh, in full here. Uh, you and I were uh, doing the pit lane show at Le Mans when Tim Greaves, I think, exclusively told Radio Le Mans. Um, that uh, the, the uh, Greaves Motorsport team were looking uh, to get back into uh, get into LMP1 for 2016. That's now not going to happen. Uh, and I think in particular, it's the thorny old problems of the performance gap and indeed the cost of it. Perhaps more concerning, but slightly less certain of the outcome at the moment, is that Stracker Racing have parked their 2017 uh, proposed programme whilst they look into exactly those two issues. So again, it's it's the kind of the cost is proving to be an issue, but in particular this performance gap that's that's raising people's concerns. But in Stracker's case, in particular, they need reassurance and more information about chassis eligibility. And of course, that's very important indeed to them because they have a chassis. They have the Dome S103. In fact, they have two of them. And that's the car on which they intend to base any future LMP1 programme. There are meetings planned. Let's hope that something can come together on that front because, uh, you know, Stracker Racing have been a very effective force in LMP1 privateer before and let's hope they can be again. But at the moment, uh, the the description from the team is that is parked. My belief is that's parked awaiting some common sense answers to some common sense questions and anybody that loves, loves variety in racing will hope that they get them. Uh, any news on what Rebellion might be doing next year? I think the answer is they're working hard to make sure they're back for a two-car effort. Let's wait and see. There, there is a reality here is that that is a team that's backing is predicated on the the um, the other backing of Alex Preshke and his Rebellion outfits. And we'll wait and see. I think that's all you could really say. They've done all they can do this year with the package. There is a, a truism here, which is they've that there's a lot of investment came in up front this year for that package. Uh, they're then into a kind of monetizing the assets and steady state into next year. So let's hope that we'll see them back. They are very much, uh, you know, a valued part of that paddock. No, and and the the problem is for them and and possibly for Stracker and one or two other people that you've mentioned there, if there's no uh, no answer to the question, we could well lose them from the sport altogether, and and I think that would be um, I hope not. it would be a shame, and I think it would be. A, a bit, I was going to say a blight on the sport. That's that's not the right word. It, it, it would wouldn't like show the sport in the best light. Let correct. me put it that what way. Correct. I would like to see that the powers that be recognise the the role, the relevance, the value 
not just now, but perhaps in slightly leaner times that almost inevitably will come at some point in the FIWEC. Privateers form a vital part of the long-term health of sports car racing. I agree. Always have, always will. But, but more than that, engineering companies and development companies and chassis builders as well, Graham. And unfortunately, the regulations for 2017 LMP2 going forward just don't attract teams that want to develop because there's no room for that there's well, no room for an RML or for a, a, a rebellion who build their own cars because that's not allowed in in that and the issue there is what do they do with their engineers because you you know you can have a very good race team but if you're running a, a spec car and effectively all you've got to do is check the tire pressures um make sure it's all polished and pat the driver on the head okay i'm massively oversimplifying that but you know what i mean absolutely how do you keep hold of somebody who is used to developing a car refining a car uh, you know alex you may have a, a thought well, on this i, I think uh, the, the the scope is probably with the power units in imsa to be honest with the with the options that you have it, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised from 17 onwards if we do if we don't see uh, some manufacturers showing interest in in that. Just from an absolute, you know, from a from looking at the the way this series is going in a guesswork point of view, because the you know they, they do offer them the scope to slam a, a, a branded engine in the back of it uh, and and make hay with it and make hay with a power unit. But for, to a degree, you're right. It becomes it becomes sports car GP2 at that point with only with several uh, manufacturers offering a chassis, several engine suppliers offering an engine in WEC at least. And then uh, and driver gets in, driver gets out, laps circulated, who was fastest boys, let's all go home. Well, I mean, in FIA and WEC, in Le Mans, in ELMS competition, it's not even a variety of engine. It's a fact, It's effectively F3. You know, you've, you've got... Uh, open chassis and and single manufacturer a single engine manufacturer you know it's not even that and and that i think that becomes an issue from you know not necessarily there's plenty of teams out there who will be interested but there will be some very good very important engineering led teams who aren't and and i think that's a bit of a shame i think sorry 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 alex i mean the 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 the, the key, I think, is this. Alex is spot on, by the way. The opportunity for these teams moving forward in terms of being able to have real on-track success, and you said it in conversation earlier with Scott Sharp, and winning races of real value probably lies in North America. The challenge to the WEC, to the ACO, is what are you going to do about that? What are you going to do to actually make an offer that persuades you know, the Strackers, the SMP Racings and others, that actually the value lies with staying with either European or a global platform. You know, because otherwise the message is a pretty poor one, don't you think, to yes. people who've supported the sport for an awfully long time that you cannot find somewhere for them to go. Yeah, a, d- a number of people um, mentioning this. Hope FIA makes Stracker, Re- Rebellion, Bicolus, etc. feel valued as competitors in the WEC, etc. as they are valued by uh, fans. Um Sorry, F3 was a bad example because it is open engine rules, as Tim has, has rightly pointed out. It hasn't always been, but there are plenty of single-seat formulas where there's a, a single engine and an open chassis, um, but everybody gravitates to uh, one chassis. Indeed, F3 is the same in reverse. It's an open engine uh, 
series, but uh, in Euro F3, but everybody has the same one because that's the one that goes best. And my issue would be with F2, with LMP2, is that one of the chassis is going to be better than the others, and therefore if you haven't got that one, you need to get one, and but, you need to get it quickly. Yeah, but a, a variety of chassis and an, an engineering-led focus still offers potentially a manufacturer to come in and then a driver to get an opportunity on the mm. basis of that maybe not outperform the competition but outperform their particular package and then get noticed and move forward into a car which maybe is competitive so it kind of speaks to back, back to what i said before about pro drivers inhabiting the 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 dark corners of the system which which allow them to to move through from opportunity to opportunity uh, by you know by hook or by crook uh, dane cameron is a fantastic a fantastic example of somebody who's done that very very well in america yeah. and uh, jumps in this jumps in that goes well in all of them and moves forward um, and I think that that's what the op- that's why sports cars opportu- uh, offers the opportunity to a young driver because you can hop from you know from class to class from car to car getting drives where you can and uh, and make your way forward. Uh, okay, that's uh, great. Uh, thank you very much to Alex and to Graham Goodwin. Graham, thanks for joining us tonight, mate. And uh, uh, we'll speak to you soon. Great stuff. Cheers, guys. Well done again, Alex. Cheers, mate. Uh, and uh, uh, still to come tonight we'll have uh, Marshall Pruitt from Racer.com lots of IMSA news I sense potentially a bit of uh, overtime coming on tonight but just uh, a bit just a bit yeah maybe let's, let's see how quickly we can uh, rattle through uh, what we've got Alex uh, Brundle has been our special guest tonight we're going to let him go in uh, uh, a moment or two thanks for joining us tonight Alex always a pleasure enjoyed yourself yeah I'll turn your mic back up. That'd be good. Yeah, very very much so, mate. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Love talking sports cars. You know that. Uh, Come back any time and let us know when you're going to be in that car and we'll talk to you then. Cheers, mate. Top stuff. Thanks, guys. Uh, We're going to go back to the phones now and uh, a story that we were talking uh, about uh, uh, last week with the potential of uh, Le Mans tickets going uh, on sale. Uh, Quite a bit to talk about here. And uh, I know the guys over at our official travel partner, Travel Destinations, have been working and are are working late this evening to fulfil orders. Delighted to, to welcome to the show our friend in the travel trade from Travel Destinations, Richard Webb. Good evening, Richard. Good evening, John. How are you? I'm very well. Uh, delighted to have you on the phone because there's a couple of questions uh, we need to talk about. Last week, uh, we saw the members' tickets and the public tickets going on sale on the ACO site uh, and therefore through the agents for the first time. We'll come to that in a moment. We should say that your private areas have been mm-hmm. on sale for, for quite some time, haven't they? For the last three weeks or so, our private areas have been on sale. So their prices are online, they're on the website, and people can phone and book, and they have been doing, and I thank everybody that has done so and booked already. And if you haven't, then you need to get in touch with us um, in the near future, and there is still availability, and that is fine. But the the different thing from this year has been that the ACO have put an embargo, if you like, on prices for their areas. So these are the the circuit-run campsites and grandstands um, that are are run by the ACO, by the circuit. We're talking the likes of the Who campsite, Maison Blanche, Tetra Rouge. They wanted that everybody go on sale at exactly the same time, and that was this week. So it's only this week that uh, the ACO site went live to their members, 
um, and um, I believe that it will also go live to the, the public in the next few days. At the same time, agents have now been allowed to go on sale with the, the circuit-run campsites as well. So um, those prices went up online um, this week, and we've been taking bookings, as many phone calls that we can answer at any one time, um, just booking everybody into those areas. So there's been an artificial kind of dam, if you like, that was put in by the circuit, which has created a kind of pent-up demand for tickets, which isn't usually there. They always have a date that they go online for members and things anyway, but everybody else has been now had to fall in line with that. And there's been a large demand for, for tickets and going on sale on that very day. And I know that I'm aware anyway, so I've been told the ACO have had some issues with the volume of people all yes. coming through at the same time, which I can understand because we can't answer the phone calls quick enough either. <laughs> I understand, though, in fairness, I do understand, Richard, why the, the ACO have decided to do it this way so that mm-hmm. they're, they're not uh, favouring uh, any one of their ticket agents. So we're, there are we're no. only a small number of official ticket agents of which travel, de- de- travel destinations are, are one. The other thing, they don't want to disadvantage themselves. So again, I'm yeah. going to reiterate what you've just said. What you've had on sale before have not been what you would call ACO public available or even members available tickets that was travel destinations own offerings uh, in places like uh, your exclusive Porsche Curves the Glamping uh, and the Flexitel so that's the stuff that you've had on sale prior to to this offering Uh, and this week it is the ACO run campsites and offerings and and grandstand seats that have gone on sale Um, there's been a bit of a misconception as well about grandstand seats and particularly ACO members grandstand seats and ticket agencies has there not? Yeah, I've read a bit on the on the forums and on the mid- midweek motorsport collective, and I, I try and stay out as much as I can because I'm always seen as being very biased anyway. But just to be clear, the ACO members stand is not sold by the by agents. We travel destinations do not get allocations in that grandstand, so it's not. Um, agencies taking over. There's always this kind of idea that there's um, agencies wherever you are, you can't get quite what you want. Oh, it's the agents' fault. Particularly for those kind of things, the ACO grandstands, um, travel destinations does take takes no allocation in there. It's a members only stand. So, so if there are any issues, I'm not asking you to answer this, Richard. But if there are any issues about people not getting their allocations in an ACO grandstand. Um, Clearly, there is a problem there, but it's not being caused by ticket agents and certainly not uh, by, uh, by travel destinations. What about the other grandstands, Richard? Do, do you take allocations in that or do we, you boot we, them as on an ad hoc basis as you go no, along? We, I, there are, the way that the ACO system works is that there are different allocations for different people. Um, those allocations, I have to say, have not changed for the last uh, decade at least. Um, in fact, our allocations have reduced over a period of time, particularly with the camping and, and Maison Blanche and the changes there. So there is no kind of different difference this year to any other year everything else is the same yes we do have an allocation in every grandstand of course we do um travel destinations is the uk's largest um ticket agent or uh, tour operator at le mans so we do probably have a larger allocation than most and and crucially that the point you mentioned earlier it's not changed for you and presumably it's a fairly tight-knit community of of ticket agents and as far as you're aware it's not changed for other agents in the last decade or so 
no, you're, you're right. That no one suddenly doubled their allocations anywhere. And in fact, the ACO wouldn't allow that. So no. it's, um, there's, there's the official agencies. There's different tiers, and that's something that people don't quite appreciate. Is there's different tiers of agents. Um, there's the official agencies, um, of which there are four or five in the UK, and there's some in Denmark and, and other places. Um, and then there's um, a lower-level agency, like an affiliated supplier or an official supplier, um, and they have a, they don't have access to certain tickets, so they don't have access to Maison Blanche or Who or certain the primary campsites that you. you might be thinking of. They have access to other peripheral tickets um, and entrance tickets and things, and they package that up in their own way. I, I want to take you back to the camping, actually, there. You mentioned Maison Blanche and, and Who. Again, I'll just reiterate the point that you haven't been able to go on sale with your allocation before the ACO put them on their website. That was the whole uh, point of yep. this, and it's caused, to coin a French phrase, a, a little bit of an embouteillage, a little bottleneck <laughs> uh, of, of people wanting to, to book them. There, there have been some significant changes around the circuit mm-hmm. in the last couple of years, yep. and in terms of the ACO's members camping, a lot of people, if they're not members, probably won't know that there is uh, members camping, but in, in yep. the same way that the ACO have grandstands they have their own grandstands they have also in the past had their own camping areas or at least made camping areas available early to ACO members and and that's shown a little bit of a change over the last couple of years and particularly this year People have been booking with the ACO for for decades, and they always go into the same area. And obviously, in the last the last year, particularly, we've seen we've seen changes, particularly the the Maison Blanche campsite, which will be run again this year as a, very similar to the way it was last year, which is about a third of the size that it used to be. So we're looking at around three hundred between three hundred and four hundred pitches, as opposed to over a thousand pitches, nine hundred to thousand pitches that they had in previous years. Now, traditionally, a lot of members. ACO members would have gone into Maison Blanche. Clearly, the capacity is not there now to house all of those members in Maison Blanche. So they've moved, and there's a, a significant movement into what I would perceive two campsites. One is Tetra Rouge, and the other is Who. Richard, is that is that a, a deliberate move by the ACO because they knew that uh, Maison Blanche was a lot smaller, so they've reduced the allocation available to, to their members? As I understand from their their considered plan, if you like, that they discussed um, a year or so ago, was that they introduced the new campsite of Epinet. Now, Epinet's in the centre of the circuit, and it's directly opposite Who. That's got 1,500 plots in there. They envisaged that to be the members' campsite, the ACO members' campsite. Now, it's quite difficult for that to work unless they, A, tell everybody, and B, everybody, all the members agree that that's a good place to go. Um, and at the moment, as I perceive it, what, what we're seeing is people that, that have been displaced and the members are looking to go into WHO. Now, there is an area within WHO called Chateau de WHO, which is members only, but it is tiny. Okay, so that's a small area within who, and then a lot of the other permits are then for being taken up by members. So there's this kind of uh, this pent-up demand artificially created, and everybody is trying to go into who, where the ACO thought, or at least intended, 
that they would go into Epinet. Perhaps hoped uh, that it would go into Epinet. Exactly, yes, exactly. That's a better phrase. A, a brand new campsite, particularly for ACO members who've probably been there for quite a long time. If they don't know about it, they haven't mm. been on it, they don't know anybody who's been on it, yes. that, that might be a bit of a, a difficult sell. I, I, I understand I that. I agree, yeah. I completely agree. And it's difficult to get that across. And people are going to naturally go with what they know yes. um, and what they've experienced in the past. Very quickly then, just from what you've seen in the last few days... Obviously, a lot of people booking early, which is great, and we always say that in our in our preview uh, pieces. But there's there's no major issues this year. It's not like things are going to run out before Christmas. But what are you seeing as the as the, the most popular uh, bookings at the moment? Clearly, you've already got a jump on things with your travel yeah. destinations exclusives. The private areas are very, very popular, and, and we've seen that over a number of years now, and that's why we've increased the space and we've we've done as much as we can to to add to things. So, you know, our our Porsche Curves campsite is already three quarters full. Um, it's uh, it's very, very popular. So that's the campsite on the outside of the curve, if you like, um, where people bring their own tents and pitch their own tents in in that area. Um, we've had that campsite now for over a decade, um, and it's very, very popular, and we have a lot of repeat business, hence it's already three-quarters full. We've increased the number of our event tents. These are the glamping option. They're on the inside of the curve, if you like, and again, they're, they're already more than half sold we have um, 130 um, event tents these are large kind of um, four-man five five meter diameter tents all the bells and whistles carpet beds bed linen and everything is provided that's new and that's a really growing product you know the first year we did that we had i think 20 or 30 tents and now we're at 130 and then our flexitel village is really popular um again a more than half sold already we these are the cabins that we build in the center of the circuit they are very popular both with um, people coming from europe but also further afield with um people traveling from america australia China, Japan, we have all sorts of people come into that area and it's a fantastic venue as you know John when you bring the Radio Le Mans team down there and it's easy accessible by people um, coming with a car or without because you get right near the tram stop and that's and that's very popular and again they are selling out but there's availability in all of those areas still at the moment and people are uh, we're encouraging people to obviously get those confirmed. More, more of an issue for people from the UK to be honest is the availability of certain ferry crossing routes. People who are travelling from Portsmouth and they're travelling, they want cabins and things on overnight boats and coming back on the Monday, um, there is a, a large demand for those crossings. Okay, Richard, give the websites and the phone number a plug, will you? Yes, indeed. So the the best site for the for Le Mans and actually Le Mans Classic this year. We're on sale for Le Mans Classic as well. We shouldn't forget that. Um, so the LeMansRace.com for all things um, Le Mans orientated or TravelDestinations.co.uk for all our events, including Daytona, Sebring, Bathurst, Nürburgring and Spa, just off the top of my head. But always we like to speak to you. We create these packages bespoke to you. So we do need to speak to you and we provide that service to you so that we get everything right perfect for you um, and the best phone number um, in from the UK is 0844-873-0203 if you're outside the UK you can also get us on plus 44-1707-329988 but if you do get an engaged tainer at the moment don't panic we are still here we're just trying to get round to everybody yeah, and you can always leave a message via the website. Richard, thanks Indeed. very much. I'll let you get back to those hey, glowing hot phones. Thank you so much. Thank you.
Webb, our man in the travel trade, at a very busy, uh, and still busy, I could hear you, uh, uh, Andrew and uh, Helen in the background of we, that call, still busy a, travel destination. phone line for them, that's how uh, we, uh, we get hold of him. A bat line. Uh, yes, sorry about the quality uh, on that. Uh, quick roundup of bits and pieces before we go to Marshall Pruitt of uh, Racer.com, Tim. I'm you. going to take advantage of the fact that uh, Nick Damon's not here mm-hmm. and talk about the World Rally Championship, which in 2016 yeah. will be returning to China. Ooh, no, they, didn't they have problems the last time they were in China? They went somewhere bizarre in China. It was right out in the boonies, wasn't it? And uh, a very, very picturesque part, in fairness, but it rained rather hard, didn't it? Well, it will be much better this time because uh, uh, 1999 was the last Rally China. <gasps> it was that. not that long ago. It was. Doesn't that make you feel old? It seems like yesterday. Uh, they have had a candidate event uh, following uh, a very similar route to the one that they expect to be using next year, uh, which is at Beijing, uh, for yeah. those of you who haven't been following this story. Uh and that was beset by problems uh, this year. Uh, but they are confident in their promoter, uh, who is the same organisation that promotes uh, the Chinese Formula 1 Grand Prix uh, and also is responsible for putting the uh, Premier League football onto Chinese television. So they must be doing something right. Mm. Uh, OK. So that's part of the World Rally Championship calendar, which was announced yesterday. Uh, no surprises that it starts in Monte Carlo and then goes to Sweden and Mexico. Uh, then we have Argentina, Portugal, Italy, Poland, Finland, Germany. China will be on uh, the second weekend of September, the 9th to the 11th. Uh, France, subject to uh, homologation. Uh, then Spain, Great Britain on October the 28th to 30th, so a fortnight earlier than uh, recently, uh, because the final round next year will be in Australia. Oh. Okay. As uh, I think we mentioned before. Uh, I th- yes, we did, actually. Uh we can move on to Formula 1. It's the Mexican Grand Prix at the weekend. And uh, I think you'll join me in congratulating Nigel Mansell uh, Did he for his fourth consecutive podium appearance in a Mexican Grand Prix. Ah, yes. Williams were on for a hat-trick, of course, of uh, of Mexican Grand Prix victories. Um, Nigel was a part of that. Yes. Uh, the actual they winner was uh, Nico Rosberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, have you seen Nico's helmet? Please move on. Uh, because when he turned up to be weighed post-race, he didn't seem to have it with him. Oh. Hmm. Which means they couldn't have got a proper... Um, weight for him. Weight for him, yeah. So uh, he could have been in trouble for that, and maybe he was later on, but it hasn't affected the result. He did still win the race. Uh, he left his helmet uh, on the car. Um, we've all done it, haven't we? Always. You, that's, where, that's where I leave my helmet. You, uh, you go shopping, you put a box on the roof while you're unlocking the door. I've done it with a mobile phone before. Don't uh, Let's not even get anything like that. Uh, so, uh, Nico Rosberg uh, was the winner. Lewis Hamilton uh, and uh, Valtteri Bottas on the podium with him. 
proof if proof were needed and a number of people I, I saw very little um, of the Formula 1 at the weekend I caught the first free practice session and a tiny bit of qualifying um, on Star Sports over in China but proof if proof were needed that uh, all you need in to make Formula 1 a success are enthusiastic fans yes 165,000 very... of them and that was real on counting on Sunday alone and that was real counting um, and they were mad for it. They would have yeah. cheered. They would have cheered uh, Sergio Perez had he come round on a skateboard. Uh, uh, and I believe he did at uh, one it point was. on Sunday morning. <laughs> um, there was a F1 Legends race as well, which dropped a huge amount of oil onto the circuit. Ah, right. uh, so uh, lots of cement well, dust when did, the actual Formula One race started. Um, but yes, I really enjoyed the uh, Mexican Grand Prix. Uh, I think I want to go there next year. Um, the circuit is, it just seems, although it's exactly the same circuit that... It's not, though. Well, it's almost exactly the same circuit that we saw uh, when Champ Car went to Mexico. It's not, though. It's not. It's, the circuit's it been weather. ruined twice. Really. It uh, reminds uh, me of the, old, uh, of the old Hockenheim before they got rid of the forest section. Yeah. All right, move on. Um, MotoGP? Yes. Uh, finale at the weekend. It's the finale this weekend. Uh, we don't have uh, our interview with Danny Pedrosa, unfortunately. No. Um, I'm sure we'll get him uh, at some point. Uh, who is coming back to MotoGP this weekend? Uh, everybody. Alex DeAngelis. He's not. He really? is. Okay. Uh, despite the fact that uh, he had a. Uh, accident only three weeks ago um, mm. that uh, we thought uh, would keep him away until next year. Mm. Okay. Uh, and the other event this weekend, and uh, in our terms, the bigger event, because the one we're covering live, mm-hmm. is the Race of Remembrance. Yes, uh, the inaugural event last year at... Anglesey. Uh, moving on to the longest circuit this year, which moves the start line and the pit lane as well from the track maps that I've seen. So I've got a bit more circuit. I We're not on the very long circuit, though, are we? Yes, yeah. The oh, we are on the, we're taking circuit. the loop. Yeah, putting the loop in from what I've seen. Oh, bad yeah. move. Mm, it yeah. means you lose the best corner. Which is the... Uh, the corkscrew. The corkscrew you like, yes. I like. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a two and a half litre MG... Um, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, and uh, thank you to the 360 Motor Club for Is that the one you posted the photo me. of earlier? Yes, that's so that right. That didn't look like one. an MG. That looked like a Rover 216 or something. Well, it's the same shape as a Rover, um, whatever it would have been, 400, wouldn't it? Ah, um, yes, 400, Rover 400. And so uh, it appeared to be at Throxton in the photograph. Yes, I would. Uh, I would say you're probably right uh, there, and I'm very much looking forward to. Who are you sharing your car this. with? Uh, uh, all the usual suspects. It's David and Claire again. So thank you, David, for uh, allowing us in, and uh, thank you, Claire, for suggesting that I come and join uh, live on Radio Le Mans across the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, changing format to yes. the event. It, it's very much like the uh, some of the Creventic races we've had this year, where the race starts on. Uh, one day and finishes the next day. So yep. our coverage starts on Saturday afternoon at 3.45 in the UK mm-hmm. uh, and runs till 7pm. And then yep. we're back on air at 9am on Sunday morning 
until 3.45. So uh, it's like 24 be... hours of broadcasting, but with that 10-hour uh, gap in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> with an air gap, effectively. And I'll be anchoring the coverage... 14-hour uh, on... gap in the middle, sorry. On, uh, on Mortless TV as well for those of you in the UK and I believe there'll be some streaming uh, of video as well but uh, don't worry you can always get us on Have the Have I very audio. quickly got time to do yes. this? No 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 Oh okay uh, I've started this anyway uh, I just want to say that uh, on Monday night no Tuesday night there was a film premiere mm-hmm. uh, of uh, a new film called The Green Hell the Gruner Haller. Uh, I wasn't invited, so I can't tell you anything about it. Was uh, was that this the Patrick Dempsey movie? <laughs> no. No, sorry, that's a. He did say that earlier on. Okay. Um, so we don't know anything about it. No. Oh, I now okay. know who makes it, but uh, okay. I need to get in touch with them. We'll find out and get a preview copy. Uh, good evening to Marshall Pruitt on the left-hand coast of the United States, uh, the man from Razor.com. Evening, MP. Evening all. Yes, that's catching on, isn't it? Uh, you, well, It's been a busy show uh, tonight, and uh, we will be going... We're not going to be squeezing Marshall into two minutes. We are going to take some overtime. We, we will take as... Uh, the uh, we, we will take as much time as we, we require from Marshall tonight. But the no whole... filibustering, Marshall. No, indeed. Well, I was looking forward to a squeeze from you, Tim, but I'll have to save that for another day. <laughs> let's let's uh, do the single-seater stuff. Bit of IndyCar news uh, with already talk of uh, changes in, um, I suppose you'd call it, balance of performance or, or something similar for 2016. Honda and uh, Chevy, the two engine suppliers there, MP. IndyCar. Took about a month to go through, actually a little more than a month, to go through the data they gathered by putting Graham Rahal's road course, actually all spec, but putting Graham Rahal's uh, Honda-powered IndyCar and Honda Aero-kitted IndyCar in the wind shear wind tunnel. Did the same with Scott Dixon's championship-winning Chevy IndyCar. Uh, took plenty of time to look through all the data. Came to the conclusion that Honda's request to uh, invoke Arrow kit rule 9.3, uh, the get out of jail free special exception. <laughs> hey, can we do some stuff to improve our kit that's outside the homologated package? Uh, IndyCar has approved that in every uh, configuration other than Super Speedway. So when they tested Honda's Super Speedway kit uh, against Chevy's, According to IndyCar, they found that there was no deficiency to warrant any changes. And with IndyCar's aero kits, for those who uh, haven't followed or get bored by the inane number of changes uh, across the, what is it, five different styles of tracks that they race at, uh, there's a variety of different aero packages within those uh, general aero kit rules. And so the... Uh, short oval slash road course slash street course package uh, they're going to allow changes to that and uh, the Indianapolis 500 has its own aero kit spec completely yes. separate so effectively we're talking about Pocono and I guess you could also say Texas which isn't necessarily a super speedway uh, to some but uh, effectively at two tracks the two biggest ovals other than Indianapolis uh, Honda will not be able to come up with special bodywork to make their overall aero kit more uh, more, more faster Heidi now the mm-hmm. the so that's the decision 
what they have to do now is put the parts and pieces they would like updated outside of standard homologation practices uh, put that in front of IndyCar and IndyCar will go and test those and come back and tell them whether yes you can or no you can't so it's not just a case of yes you're allowed to do what you want it's we'll let you do something but we're going to go confirm mm. uh, and make sure that Chevy, for example, their uh, rival, is not all of a sudden uh, on the back foot. Mm. Uh, before we leave IndyCar, actually, um, Boston. What's happening with that straight race in Boston? I hear conflicting reports about whether it's going to happen. It's on the calendar about whether it's going to happen. Uh, Mexico City, I think we've lost, haven't we, from the calendar already. But uh, Boston, there's a bit of a question mark over that. Con- conflicting reports coming from uh, from area residents and from uh, people who are reading the local newspapers. Have you heard anything about that? Oh, heard lots. Uh... <laughs> Most of it inaccurate. Uh, what we have, Heidi, and this is, I don't know why, uh, but we have one media outlet, a fairly powerful uh, Boston newspaper, that, for whatever reason, has decided uh, if they write, when they write something about the event, it is extremely negative. So, and that isn't new, that's been ongoing. And frankly, their efforts have been very successful. To for again for whatever reason I don't know the agenda but uh, the constant the frequent negative stuff uh, Ryan Hunter Ray went there for a promotional uh, event and you know the following day there was a story in that newspaper about the huge PR gaffe and how I mean you would think handi- they would find a negative angle if uh, they went and handed out hundred dollar bills so. I don't know why, Heidi, but I can tell you it's been working. Uh, And in the internet age, people love a negative headline. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So sadly, that has has been it. There's some sort of bombastic headline uh, that is slanted in some direction uh, that's rarely positive and people run with it. So as a result, uh, we've been getting this doom and gloom uh, sensation about the about the event. And look, I'm not saying there are no problems. I'm just saying that every time I see some sort of headline that says the sky is falling, I'll pick up the phone, ask some people to get a, a couple different thoughts on it and uh, I'm struggling to find the same doom and gloom uh, as others so if it falls through it falls through I just haven't seen the indicators that that's going to happen yet okay copy that uh, let's move on to sports cars uh, and some positive news here for the world challenge uh, they have confirmed their new man at the top and it's a man at the top I think that will be welcomed pretty much universally Indeed, Greg Gill had the interim tag removed almost a month ago, from what I'm told. So although that's just been confirmed by the series yesterday, they have uh, they've actually apparently embraced him a little while ago. So Good. took the interim tag off, and it's great uh, great to see that they find value in trying a leader with a different, uh, less firebrand approach. Who knows if it will succeed? I do know that there are a lot of people rooting for Greg Gill to succeed. I'm yeah. I'm yeah. one of them. So, yeah, after going through a fairly tough couple of years with their previous leader, uh, hopefully World Challenge 
their competitors, sponsors, and otherwise uh, can settle into maybe less turbulent times. And, and hopefully, Heidi, and, and I imagine you'd agree with this, hopefully get to a point to where they start to achieve the impact their product deserves. Yeah, uh, I think there are very few people that argue how great the average World Challenge race uh, is or can be. Just more people need to know about it. Uh, more people need to be aware. They have steadfastly stuck to the sprint race formats uh, thus far. Uh, however, a liaison with SRO, Stefan Rattel's organisation, uh, will put a, a change to that, put a little wrinkle in that, uh, with the announcement of a uh, an endurance race for GT3 cars, uh, which could be as soon as next season. It's been talked about for a little while, it looks to be a bit closer now, uh, and uh, a venue being talked about as well, MP. Yeah, all great stuff there, and uh, to me at least, when you have a series like World Challenge, which was the the America's first adopter of GT3 regulations, uh, to have them form an international relationship and bond uh, with someone like the with SRO Rattel. Again, we always hope that the ambitions surrounding Stefan's uh, efforts pan out doesn't always happen, but I would say it's not a bad thing at all for World Challenge to try and go forward with SRO, try and uh, increase their international linkage, if you want to call it that. So yeah, uh, all stuff that I was hoping would continue under the management change, and it looks like everything's going forward uh, in that vein as well, Uh, in a positive uh, manner. uh, And the venue is uh, that's being talked about at the moment is the Circuit of the Americas, is it? That's what I've heard. I've yeah. heard that for a little while. Uh, don't know if that will happen, but I hope it does. Um, staying with the circuit of the Americas, the revolving door that is their executive floor has claimed another victim. Yes, as one of our collective members said, unfortunately it appears Jason Dial was dialed out. Whoa, dialed uh, out is the headline, isn't it? Very good. Yeah, not mine, but again, one of the uh, one of our astute collective members. Uh, yeah, Heidi. I mean, look, I don't know what to tell you. I love that track. I, I don't. I think I might be in the minority of folks who love the entire track. I mean, the amenities inside the paddock are wonderful, but uh, the rest is a little more uh, mm. uh, raw, a yeah. little more raw and Texan. And I actually like it. But uh, I'll tell you, every year uh, since it since it opened, uh, every year on you know New Year's Eve, I, among my wishes and prayers, is I hope it stays open. I don't know how. I don't know how they make their money or have the money to spend to bring Formula One and others there. Uh, so. With constant management changes, ownership, or you know, with within the body of ownership changes and otherwise, boy, uh, I can think of uh, many other new tracks that have had far less turbulent uh, openings during its first couple of years of business. So uh, none of this is is really related to to Jason. It's just no, no. Uh, boy, uh, I hope all of these changes uh, do not point to bigger problems to the track's continued existence. I, I just think, you know, uh, there's been a, a steady procession of very well-qualified senior management in a variety of jobs at the Circuit of the Americas who have been in and out before the paint has dried on on their name tags, on their doors. And, you know, 
Justin Dial was was there for it seems like five minutes and obviously a bit longer than that. I just wonder when they're actually going to get round to employing someone who has some direct experience of running a racetrack because none of the people who've been in that job, I believe at least so far, have. Jason is the the latest who came from Procter and Gamble, didn't he? He was fast moving consumer goods, great CV, but you know just hasn't understood how to run a venue and particularly a venue who's Principally, uh, a concert uh, venue and and a racetrack. I, I just fear. I just fear. Let's move on to. Uh, let's move. I think somebody said to me the other day it'll make a great buy for the third owners. Um, the let's move on to IMSA and the uh, uh, IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Challenge. Uh, let's start with Penske. We've talked on this program before about the potential of Penske. Uh, and a prototype program, uh, lots of um, alliteration on the letter P there, um, uh, before uh, it, it seemed to get very real recently with talk of Oric chassis and uh, and a, an OEM program coming on stream, and now it's not real at all. You've been speaking to uh, one of the top men at uh, Penske, Tim Sindrick, I believe. Yeah, spoke with, uh, spoke with him, been trying to... Uh... <sighs> keep track of this follow it see if it's going to turn from real to not real etc etc um there was definite efforts to look uh to dps and uh, i know of at least one current dp team that has had conversations with them about a possible alliance that didn't go forward uh that then broke into p2 and yeah, to your to your point, Heidi, uh, you know the Areca stuff we've known about for a little while. They'd confirmed privately, um, and so yeah, just trying to track it, see where it's going. Uh, I even know of one driver uh, who uh, is, let's just say, has a very successful history with Penske in uh, prototype racing, who's been pushing, trying to bring parties together to make something happen for the Rolex Twenty Four. So there's been a lot of people trying, hoping, working, and it just didn't happen yeah. and so yeah just catching up with tim uh, tim sendrick penske racing president on monday said uh yeah you know trying to hoping to we're looking at etc etc but there's nothing there so uh we just kind of moved on and that aligned with uh you know things i'd been hearing recently as well so would love to see it i mean look uh, of all the things imsa needs right now a big marquee team like penske coming in and whether it's you know one of their cup drivers or indycar drivers imsa needs could definitely use some high caliber star power uh so if that could happen in the future, Heidi, uh, I think it would only benefit the series. Pointed out by a number of the listeners straight away that uh, they, uh, Penske have um, said one thing and, and done another uh, in the past. But but right now, who could it possibly be if it was an OEM? We know from the cal- calibre of the programmes that Penske have done in the, the past that they are unlikely to do a customer chassis stroke engine program so it would have to have some kind of manufacturer interest and and frankly there's not a lot out there they've obviously had a big liaison in the past most recently in sports cars mp with, with porsche i can't see that happening right now uh yeah i don't i think that there are some other i think fluctuations might be the best way to put it Heidi. Mm-hmm. and this isn't limited to america imsa p2 whatever I mean, we've seen uh, we've seen questions about 
which cars from the factory will be on track this year next, uh, which classes will or won't they be in, supply questions, will they be able to supply all their orders for this model and otherwise. So I'm not painting, you know, big issue or painting, a not trying to paint a portrait of big issues for Porsche, just saying that uh, I think there's been a lot of talks. About a lot of things. Do I think something with Porsche and Penske uh, was discussed at some point? Personal opinion, yes. Haven't had that confirmed, but just aligning a few people that I know were here or there or spoke with this person about that, I think that has probably happened. But I also think that, again, for whatever reason, uh, the Penske and Porsche coming together for a sports car program next year uh, would not be happening. So... We know Roger doesn't spend his own money to go racing. Oh, uh, no, no, no. And uh, we can only hope that someone gives him money to race for on their behalf. Uh, so let's have some positive Porsche news. Uh, reports of, of Porsche having issues with the GT3 cars. We know that there was an issue with the direct injection uh, engines in some of the 911 racing product. However, uh, photographic news this, uh, this week, or confirmation, uh, that the... Uh, WeatherTech branded cars, the uh, new uh, GT3 product from Porsche, have arrived and uh, are in the States. Uh, there is, uh, I think, a, a test for Porsche uh, coming up in the States uh, this week where the GT3 and the RSR uh, will be out. Good to see that Alex Job has got his two cars and they look resplendent in their WeatherTech livery. They do, and I like the green. I don't mm. know if I, I don't know if I'm the only one or what, but I also like the. Uh, this is the uh, this is the GTD indicator. It's gone from uh, blue to green this year, hasn't it? Yeah, the, for the pro am cars, uh, I'm told. I haven't seen it in person, but I've been told to see the same thing on the PC cars as well. Uh, but yeah, I thought the car looked fantastic. It it has that sexier, more aggressive stance. Some louvers on the uh, fenders, and just a little bit more aggro GT3 look, which is what uh, many too many cars in GTD had been missing. And now we, uh, I love what we've seen with the Porsche. Cannot wait for the rest of uh, the cars that will be there doing IMSA's uh, official BOP run at Daytona here in about a week and a half, which I will thankfully be attending. So, great stuff. Uh, Still more stories uh, to come. A lot of silly season stuff, which we'll talk about separately later for uh, the IMSA. Whilst uh, we're talking about cars, though, the, it looked for a little while as though the new Audi R8 for 2016 might not have a home in IMSA racing, five only going to uh, the US, and all of a sudden, three of them, potentially at least, popping up in GT Daytona for the IWISC Championship next year. Very much so. Great news there as well, Hindy. Uh, Stevenson Motorsports is expected to run two cars, uh, returning to top-tier GT racing. They're obviously part of, uh, or very successful, one of the uh, star GT teams in the former uh, Grand Am Rolex GT category. Uh, They will be joined by Magnus Racing, our our Porsche-loving friends at Magnus will indeed uh, be staying German, and even within the uh, the VAG group, 
just a uh, different brand there. So that is uh, fantastic. Derek Walker, whose name was uh, mentioned in Walker Racing as possibly being part of the Audi camp, uh, rang to make it very clear that uh, anyone suggesting uh, he is a part of that or has a deal uh, is wrong. And frankly, it was just not so well, was upset about that. But besides that, uh, was essentially just wanting to make sure people did not get the impression that Walker Racing has a deal and uh, does not need folks to pick up the phone and uh, put them to work. So ah. uh, we do know, yeah, so we know about Stevenson. We know about Magnus. Walker Racing does indeed have zero at the moment, so they're hoping to uh, find something. Uh, they had been speaking with Christina Nielsen and had hoped uh, to give her a new destination. Uh, it appears Christina will be joining uh, my friends in Southern California uh, at Scuderia Corsa. Unconfirmed, but uh, have heard from oh, enough wow. people. Heard from enough people who know that that is very close to being done. So all kinds of fun movement. I mean, really, really fun movement, if you ask me. Yeah, and that's a that's a GT that's a GTD drive for her as well. Then in uh, with Scuderia yep. Corsa and the the. Uh, Ferrari. Okay, that's very, uh, very interesting. Uh, in the uh, well, we, you've talked about drivers. Kuno Whitmer. Then, okay, you said Christina Nielsen. What about Kuno? Uh, what's he going to be doing next year? Word on the street, Heidi, is uh, you will see the uh, the lovely French Canadian uh, driving German machinery in uh, IMSA's GT Daytona, uh, GT Daytona, GT Le Mans category. Uh, I have heard from multiple sources. Good Kuno will be uh, the endurance driver, or an endurance driver, I should say, for uh, BMW Team RLL. And I've also heard he will be responsible for uh, European uh, R&D related to the M6. So sounds like mm. Kuno, after a, what, about a half season? Or yeah. a little more than a half season coming in uh, into the 2015 season to take over the seat from James Davison at TRG Aston Martin Racing. Looks like he has found another manufacturer ride. Keep in mind, he obviously won the 2014 GTLM Drivers title. So uh, I guess a good fit for him to go back to GTLM and apply his trade. Uh, yeah, that's very interesting. The reason uh, for that is that our Ford driver saga, which has had more uh, Ford GT driver saga, which has had more episodes than a weekly soap opera, is beginning to come towards its denouement for the US, uh, at least, with drivers' names that have been in the frame for a little while starting to becoming inked in, I would think, rather than penciled in. And I think we can make a decent stab, indeed you have, uh, at the six drivers that we might expect to see over the course of the IMSA season for Ford GT. Yeah, I mean, I, I gave it my guess of what I think the lineup would be, and granted, Heidi, with the names, uh, I think we can, if I'm off, or I should say, yeah, if I'm off, it's, it's not a big deal, but uh, I think... We will see. Well, I think we know the six uh, that have been confirmed uh, privately. Uh, I've heard from more than a few people that uh, everybody has been confirmed, meaning there are no seats open mm. uh, on the IMSA side for the 4GT program. So, provided that's true, based on who we've heard, been at tests, been seen at hotels, yes. um, on pit lane by you know spies, blah blah blah. Uh, I think. 
I'll put my money now on, I don't know, which, 20 bucks. How's this? 20 bucks. Uh, I think we would see Joey Hand, who we, again, know is yeah. part of the program, partnered with his, or with his former BMW uh, partner, very successful with. Uh, Dirk Mueller. My guess is we would see a Sebastian Bourdais uh, oh. as the endurance driver there. Right. And the other car, again, guessing, and I'm not 100% sure on endurance role, but I think we might see full-time uh, pairing in the second car of Ryan Briscoe and Richard Westbrook with Marino Franchitti in the endurance role. I mean, granted, I'd love to see Marino. I'd love to see mm. well, all three is full-time, but I think that might be the lineup for both cars and based on you know there are a lot of uh there are a lot of teams that have worked with some of the drivers that i've mentioned who have been sitting on announcements you know announcing those drivers the replacement who's going to fill in uh, because they've tried to frankly be cool and respect the, those drivers who they've yes. had relationships with they don't want to give away their news by saying hey this seat is now open and we're filling it with this and everyone go well aha uh-huh, okay so that that guy is free so uh, you know i had someone today asking about well has this been confirmed about this driver leaving this team and going to ford and you know the answer is no ford's can confirmed nothing the drivers have confirmed nothing uh, you and i have spoken to many some that we've just noted here and others that we haven't and you know uh, there's nothing that's been put in print from a driver saying yes i am driving Correct. for ford uh so uh for you know to be completely transparent uh this is what i believe will happen but uh there's nobody from within ford ganassi or the drivers who have uh said yes this uh is yeah um what we can say is a couple of things that have been uh, confirmed SEMA is this week and one or two of uh, the teams are taking the opportunity to show cars or have sponsor commitments there uh, and so we've heard one or two things and congratulations to one of our uh, sort of uh, uh, oftentimes broadcasters uh, helping us out over the IMSA season and that's Mark Miller who yeah. has found a place and a good spot as well that made me really happy me to too. see Mark uh, land more than just a sporadic uh, seat with Ben Keating. Uh, so that is fantastic to know that he'll be in uh, doing the endurance races with Ben. And uh, at least speaking with Ben last weekend, they are ready to go with a return to the 24 hours of Le Mans with uh, they've purchased he's purchased the car that he uh, used last year so he has sponsorship in place uh, I assume the driver lineup would be the same or similar uh, with Mark uh, definitely a part of that so I hope that gets confirmed but yeah bottom line great to hear that Mark super talented guy is getting an opportunity and that's uh, for me at least i always love hearing about new new opportunities or increased opportunities in sports car racing for younger talent uh, going back to the ford saga one of the drivers that you didn't mention there was scott pruitt and we mentioned a few weeks ago now that we thought that scott might be off to pastures new and that is indeed the case still wants to break that tie at daytona that he has with hurley Haywood, doesn't it in, in terms of over over all victories Indeed, and at least by my own process of elimination, I think he might end up uh, slotting into the seat Sebastian Bourdais filled there. Uh, could be, but keep in mind that's Daytona. I don't know if he would be you know, running with a prototype team at any of the other NAEC rounds, so could there be a need, or uh, I shouldn't say could, there will be a need 
for a call it full-time endurance driver to come in for uh, either the other rounds after Daytona or possibly uh, they could carry four drivers for that event. So uh, of the ones I've heard rumor about, uh, I've heard both Audi and Porsche WC teams, P1 teams, I should say, uh, possibly having a driver uh, come over to fill the uh, endurance role for the number for the championship reigning champion, number five uh, action express Daytona prototype. Could see Pruitt in that. Uh, he's told us that he will be in in a prototype mm. for the 24 hours. So no question there. Uh, but knowing that he has parted ways with Ganassi after 12 years, I believe it is, uh, did confirm that despite mentioning in uh, the post-race uh, press conference at Petit Le Mans, sorry for all the P's there, uh, that he could be uh, in a Ganassi prototype for the Rolex 24. Yeah, uh, yeah so that, again, that was you know a month ago. Uh, he's essentially confirmed that no, that won't be happening. Pruitt's been linked with this new uh, Lexus program, which uh, is having a troubled... I was going to say a troubled birth. It's on about its fourth iteration now uh, of this GTE stroke GT3 stroke GTD program. It's it's Gentilotti, Paul Gentilotti and the, the RSR team. But uh, at the moment, there is no car, although uh, they are eligible because they've paid their money to IMSA as their, their marketing. Uh, are we likely to see that car? And when? Don't know. How's this? 2016. Uh, I don't know the exact date and time, Heidi. Uh, <laughs> I do have to admit it was it was fun and memorable in hindsight, sitting in the Ganassi trailer at Petit Le Mans, talking with uh, Scott, not my brother Pruitt, and having him ask me questions about the Lexus program. What have you heard? What do you know? And you know, he let's just say he did an artful job of playing dumb. And it's not that I you know I knew that he was a part of that, but uh, you know he was denying it to the bitter end until it was confirmed. Firm, so good on him. Um, I don't know. I can tell you, uh, Pruitt said that he's you know looking for not only Rolex 24 rides but also 12 hours of Sebring. Said the Lexus definitely won't be at either of those, which has allowed that freedom. Uh, I've heard conflicting things. I've heard that the car might not race at all. That was mm. a little while, a little while ago, mm. a couple weeks ago. Uh, but at least based on their press release, it sounds like they could try and get it out for something. I just don't know the timeline, and I I hope that they don't rush it because to me at least, seeing the car on track and struggling to get out of its own way does nothing for the brand and nothing for the series. So I'd rather have them wait until they're confident it can at least, you know, run mid pack uh, before unveiling the car in competition. Um, some good news for another friend of ours, Brian Sellers. Uh, just one line on these, Marshall. We have to rattle through them, but an opportunity for Brian, we think, somewhere. Yes, uh, had it confirmed that he is indeed a an employed driver for 2016. Oh, brilliant. And that news is expected to be out soon. Uh, Richard Westbrook, we've mentioned going to Ford from Spirit of Daytona. Michael Valiente leaving that team as well. There's, there's going to be some room uh, there. Uh, very quickly, PR1 Matheson Motorsport, championship winning PC team to move up to P2. Have to follow up on that. Last time I spoke with HPD, they were confident it was going to happen. And quickly on the Spirit of Daytona, I've also heard uh, that uh, Mike Rockefeller is not uh, necessarily keen on returning, but there is a chance. So they could actually be replacing all three drivers. Oh, really? 
Oh, okay. Well, there we go. There's, uh, there's more to come, I feel. Uh, Marshall Pruitt uh, is at uh, racer.com, of course, so keep uh, across all of that. Uh, still nothing breaking on this AMG Mercedes for, for IMSA, and uh, I'm, I'm beginning to get a bit perturbed about this at the moment. But uh, Austin Sindrick's driven one, and he's looking for a drive in, in IMSA next year. He drove one for Erebus, did he not? Yeah, I, mean, I spoke with Tom, Thomas Yeager last week, so they are indeed bringing uh, one of the brand-new 2016 Mercedes-AMGs to the November test at Daytona. But uh, from a supply standpoint, they're very concerned about the ability to supply vehicles for anyone to make the Rolex 24. So Mm -hmm. they seem to think order fulfillment and the car being on the ground competing in IMSA GTD would be more of a Sebring on type thing, unless they can pull some sort of production miracle. Uh, MP uh, finally got the chance to catch up uh, with more than the odd one or two stories. We've rattled through a lot there in the last uh, half an hour or so, well into overtime now. And as I said, keep an eye on racer.com for more. I have a suspicion that we'll see a lot more stories from IMSA and the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship breaking in the next couple of weeks or so with that test at Daytona, the open test at Daytona, uh, coming up soon as well. MP, thanks for joining us tonight on Midweek Motorsport. Thanks, Heidi. Always uh, great to hear uh, for from uh, Marshall. Uh, and that's just about it, Tim, for tonight. If you've just if you've stayed with us, thank you. Um, if you've, if just, you've joined just us, why are you two and a half hours late? Yes, absolutely right. And if you're on the podcast, wasn't it fun having a little bit more tonight? Well done to Alex Brundle for getting the drive with United Autosport. Our top story exclusively revealed tonight here on Midweek Motorsport Series 10, episode 44. And our second exclusive tonight, Radio Show Limited, will be uh, continuing with the recent uh, tradition of providing the commentary for the Liquid Molly Bathurst 12 Hours, including uh, their TV coverage on Channel 7 and their international feed uh, streamed around the world. That's the early part of 2016 uh, sorted out uh, for the team. Wow, thanks, Tim. That's been a good one. A final word from you tonight? Goodbye. That'll do nicely. There's no time to explain because the... Oh, no, hang on. The llama's already gone. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.